in UFO sightings reported around the world every month. 90% of these sightings can be explained, but 10% cannot. Officially and unofficially, the U.S. military has been investigating UFOs since 1947. Their top secret goal is to find out what's behind these unexplained sightings. The Pentagon classifies them as unusual airborne anomalies. But a better term is X-Files. Join us as we explore these unsolved cases, UFO incidents that baffle even the U.S. military. This is Mac Maloney's Military X-Files. And now, here's Mac Maloney. Well, good evening, everyone. Welcome to Mac Maloney's Military X-Files show here on the Distant Thunder Radio Network. This is Mac Maloney. What a show we have in store for you tonight. Whoa. There's a duck in the room. <laughs> Do you know what that was? I've been meaning to bring in WD-40 for that thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. okay. That was your cat. All right, let's <laughs> try again. Hold on. That's a blooper. There you go. What the heck? Hang on, hang on. <clears throat> right, hang on, hang on, hang on. We do actually have ducks out, hip- out this, back. Is that out there? Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right, here we go. <clears throat> we'll get you. Hang on. I'm sorry. We'll do it 40. Right. Right, we'll go 40. Here Take we go. three. All right, here we go. Take three. Coming down on three, two, one. Well, good evening, everyone. Welcome. Excuse me. Hang on. This never happens. I'm serious. I'm, okay. I'm nervous because there's a female joining us. All right, here we go. We'll go at one. We'll go at one, okay? That's good luck. Okay. All right. Here we go. We'll go at one. Yeah, it's in two seconds. Well, good evening, everyone. Welcome to Mac Maloney's Mill Tracks Fast Show here on the Distant Thunder Radio Network. This is Mac Maloney. Well, what a show we have here tonight. But first, you know what I have to do. I have to introduce the members of the posse, uh, the poussey, as the kids say in Paris. <laughs> All right, uh, girls, get ready. I'm contractually obligated to tell you this. It's time to get your misters, your fans, take a seat and get that extra big box of Kleenex. Wow, this is getting to be some kind of introduction there, JJ. The very famous Juan Juan. Is Hello, there. Mac. Hello, girls. How's everything going? Welcome to the show. Welcome back to the show. Welcome back. Yep. Okay. I actually have a box of Kleenex in front of me, too, because I have wicked allergies. Okay, so you say. Wick, wicked bad allergies. Okay, all right. Yep, we understand. <laughs> um, okay, and uh, also, on uh, we're going to be talking to Coco very soon, uh, Commander Cobra, uh, but also on the line with us is our national correspondent up there in the Bowl of Flakes, Switchblade Steve Ward. How are you doing there, Switchy? I am beyond wonderful. Beyond wonderful. Okay, all right. Uh-oh, something's wrong with our... Oh, no. the, Uh-oh. You have the, you have the backup there? The scoop? Okay. Well, our hero is getting our backup sound effects generator. Is yeah, this when technology wrong. fails? Yeah. We have a celebrity on the phone and also a celebrity in the studio with us. Okay, let's see how this works. Oh, yeah. yeah oh, yeah, much better. Okay. Wow. Uh, so anyway, uh, one one. Uh, glad to be here. I'm glad to see you here. Glad to be say. here. Okay, and you have a big box of Kleenex. That's the last thing I heard you say. That's right. I did. I did have a big box of Kleenex. Don't have any frosted flakes with me tonight, though. But that's Steve's department. Oh really? Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. Let me introduce the celebrities. Then we'll get into what Steve had for breakfast. Okay. <laughs> we'll wants to know. Uh, in the studio, we'll go with the multimillionaire first. Okay? Oh, <laughs> multi hundredaire. In the studio with us is the very famous Pete Falcone, the the brains. <laughs> of the vast Falcone communications empire. Is that correct? Well, yeah, I did the left brain. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to yeah. say, you are the brains of Cows the Bronze. That's right. Yeah. Cows yeah. the Muscle? Exactly. Okay. Right, right, right. Anyway, uh, we uh, Pete is the owner of a large network of radio stations. We happen to uh, tape in one of them, WXEX in Exeter, New Hampshire, where the original 
Exeter incident. Right. Thanks for joining us tonight, Pete. We have an experiment going on, as you know. Okay, yes, yeah, I'm happy to be a part of it. Right. On uh, the um, other phone line with us, uh, through the miracle of Skype, is a new friend. Um, you know her name, her new name, Neil Rawani. <laughs> what was it? Ella. Ella, a good friend. <laughs> right, let's, we, let's give her the first. Welcome, Ella. That's a sustained round of applause. Thank you for joining us tonight. Ella, you're out in Las Vegas, right? Yes, thank you for having me. Okay, yeah. I'm so excited. Well, uh, let's see how you feel at the end of the segment. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so um, you're a, a, a fan of ours. Uh, you and I have been in touch uh, recently, and um, you become a fan of the show. Is that I'm a huge fan of the show. Really? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Could you rather listen to our show than uh, go down the street and watch Elton John? Well, she does. Absolutely. Oh, wow. Yes. Okay. All right. See? Wow. Um, so, uh, can you tell us why you like the show so much? Because we don't really, we don't really, well, we do, I guess I shouldn't say that we don't get to Well, the end we, we like to listen to our own show like we a do. couple of weeks after the fact. There you go. Like when the dust settles Some and of the, us do. the excitement dissipates. He hasn't listened to a show in over a year. Oh, come on. Uh, uh, oh, Elizabeth, really? can you give us the high points of why you find us so intriguing? Um, I find the comedy is on point, oh. and, <laughs> and I like the sound effects, and I love your voices. Oh, wow, and thank you. the subject matter is very intriguing. The comedy. <laughs> But don't forget the subject matter, like yeah, you said. Matter, that's right. Okay. The, don't right. miss that. The subject intriguing. Matter. Intriguing. intriguing. That's, I don't a, know. that's the first time that word's been used on this show, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, probably the last. <laughs> well, she, she obviously knows we do a lot of research on this show. Right. So what we've done is, um, because uh, Ella is someone who has a psychic ability, and um, so, as I said, we had a... Um, a little chat off of air, and um, she was able to nail one of the gang perfectly just from hearing her voice. So we thought, hey, why don't we kind of just uh, triple the fun and see if she can uh, identify or come close to what certain people of the gang look like. Now, uh, Elizabeth, you already know what myself and Juan Juan and Cobra look like, right? Somewhat, yes, mm -hmm. from your website. From the website, okay. So you didn't see Cobra spread in GQ, I guess, right? <laughs> no. Luckily. <laughs> Yes, okay. Well, you know, that's something to look forward to. So, um, but uh, uh, Club is on the line with us and also uh, Switch, and, and Pete is in the studio with us. So we, I'm just going to have them just get a little conversation, separate conversations. You can say anything you want, keep it clean. And if you can create in your mind what you think they look like, and we can uh, talk to you in a couple weeks, take some notes, and in two weeks we'll do the big reveal. How's that sound? Sounds great. Okay. Pete, you want to go first? You, Pete, you, Pete's limo was waiting outside, so we should have him go first. <laughs> you want me to go first. Well, Ella, it's a, a pleasure. Uh, Las Vegas is one of my favorite places. I haven't mm. been there probably in about three years. But, um, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm not going to say just nice place to visit. I wouldn't want to live there. But I, I, I bet I would. I like the weather uh, and always something going on. So, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's nice to actually talk to somebody that lives there. It's a different living there though right ella yes it's it's too hot for me in the summer actually mm. the weather right now is perfect mm. okay what do you do when it's too hot stay inside oh, okay in the ac all right yeah but it's dry heat it's, yeah, yeah. yeah that's what they say but that heat is hot i've been hot there hot, it's over 100 degrees yeah, it's, wow. yeah you okay. can still feel you it. actually see a mirage ever seen the mirage I've seen you walk across the parking lot of Las Vegas, you see, you see a mirage. Right. I've been in the mirage. That's right. <laughs> That's where I parked my car. Oh, no, that was the garage. Oh, the garage. Okay. There you go. Pete. 
Doing material, good. So, uh, have you been able to, uh, you know, get a mental picture of uh, Pistol Pete? Would you say, Ella? Um, can you talk a little bit more? Ooh. Okay, well, I can talk all <laughs> right. right if you want. I'll shut Stay up. with me. I'll, I'll okay. be quiet. We did a, a live broadcast. They had a, or maybe they still do, had a radio studio at the top of the Stratosphere mm-hmm. Hotel, and uh, that's one of the reasons we were there. Uh, two or three of the times that I've been there have been radio-related, that mm-hmm. broadcasting from there, and uh, that time was pretty cool because we were up at the top on a Saturday night doing a show live from up there, broadcasting it back to Boston, oh, cool. and uh, it, it was cool. It was, yeah. it was great. Who paid that expense well, well, that was uh, the, the Department of Tourism for uh, Nevada, I <laughs> really? think. Really? Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. But, Let's uh, get them on the line. Yeah, exactly. So how's that, Elizabeth? That must give you enough ammunition to... Uh... Yes. Okay. okay. You passed. Good. I'm, I'm pegged. <laughs> okay, good, good, good. Why don't we go with Club next? Now, I can tell you, I can. I know what Club looks like, but I can tell he's, sw- he's in his pool on his float. And he, <laughs> his swimming pool float is big enough to hold not a six-pack, but a case. Okay, wow. now that's wow. thinking ahead. That's up there. Club, how are you doing? Okay. Well, I'm doing good, but you got to understand, I'm here on assignment. <laughs> and so I really haven't had that much time to, to get into the pool. Even I haven't been on my boat yet. You're <laughs> not even on the boat yet. He's so busy. Wow. So it isn't, uh, you know, there's a lot of work here, but I'm looking forward to taking some time off next weekend, uh, getting out on the uh, boat. You have a boat as well? I wanted, yeah, I wanted to say to Ella that, uh, you know, I, one thing I love about Vegas is what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Does it really, yeah. though? When I see, hear anyone saying that, I think, what the hell are you doing out there that you want, don't want other people to know? <laughs> right. Losing money? I think it's true. Isn't it right? Yeah. At yeah. least they try to make it true. They try to make it, yeah. They put it, because then, then they put that thought in mind, we can go there and do anything and no one will know. That's know? right. I mean, it's perfect PR. Uh, go ahead, Club, please. Well, I, I've been there for a number of conferences over the years, and I can attest to the fact that uh, things uh, don't leave Vegas, and uh, for good reason. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. This is when you work for the uh, IRS, shall we say? Well, for an, for an agency uh, that uh, I worked for in the past. Yeah. <laughs> really? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> And also in the corporate world. Okay. All right. Good. Out in the Vegas. Well, all of a sudden, Vegas, you know, is the place to go. I would love to go to Vegas on someone else's dime. Yeah. I've never done it. That's but... that's uh, the only times I ever went there was when I was doing yeah. trade shows for yeah, a geez. computer company. Hmm. No. You never send us to Vegas. I don't know why they'd be afraid we wouldn't come back. Yeah, right. Uh, so, uh, Ella, how's that? Have you heard club enough? Or do you want a little more? Um, I think I'm good. Okay. All right. And Thank you. S- switch. Now it's your turn. Switcherino. Have you ever been okay. to Vegas, Switchy? Well, I, I haven't been to Vegas, but I believe that uh, when I left uh, San Diego San Diego on the train, I was stationed in the Navy, and we got uh, uh, per diem at, at that time. It was a pretty good deal. It was such a good deal that they changed it, so we didn't get as much money to switch duty stations. But uh, So I took. I decided I wanted to take the train across country. So it was the first time I had been through uh, oh, New Mexico and Arizona. Mm. But uh, at night, at, uh, I think I was asleep on the train. If I if I if I have the Amtrak route that I took correct, uh, I went through a corner of Nevada. So that's about it. So I may have been in Nevada for uh, briefly, but I was asleep. Oh wow! Okay. Well, you were there. So <laughs> yes. Well, possibly. <laughs> okay. If if I read if I read the the right correct route, and uh, let's see. Um, Did you visit Hoover Dam? <laughs> I did not. He was okay. asleep for that, too. <laughs> but when I, when I flew out there, I got to see the Grand Canyon. I've yes. never been to the Grand Canyon on, on the ground, but I got to see it on a clear day uh, flying over, which was mm-hmm. pretty spectacular. 
And so uh, anyway, I got back uh, after that trip. I had some uh, leave time, and then I was shipped off to uh, submarine school in mm-hmm. New London, Connecticut. Oof. So, so um, and uh, where were you taking yes. the train to? From from you're going to New London. Where were you taking it from? San Diego to Detroit. Oh, <laughs> where did you leave? From Detroit to New London? No, no, no I left. Well, I left uh, San Diego. Okay. And I went to went across country to Detroit. Then I was on oh. leave, and then I, I drove my car out to uh, New London subbase. Okay. Oh, yeah. Right. And, uh, yeah. and uh, went to sub school, submarine school at that time. I was going to say if he was going from Detroit to New London, then he stopped in Vegas. Oh, okay. <laughs> the Amtrak got lost. Damn, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Papa John's has sub school too, by the way. It- Wow. That's how they learn it. Aren't they pizza place? And and they teach you what kind of cheese. (laughs) That's right, right? exactly. Because you get get a lot of choices. How's that, uh, Ella? Can you. That was great. Good? Okay. All right. Very nice place. Wow. Okay. Did we ever get to why she likes the show so much? I like all of you. Excellent. It's a it's a vibe. It's a feeling that you get, right? Well, the feeling is mutual. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, thank you. I'm trying to vision what she looks like, and you know, not, haven't seen her sky picture yet. I'm trying to picture. Uh, Once you it, visualize it, like she's doing. I am visualizing, but I don't want to reveal it. Well, in Vegas, she must have a nice, solid tan. There you go. Tanned up. No. I guess. I guess who knows. So, um, well, listen, why don't we do this? Uh, why don't we thank Ella for joining us with yeah, a round so of applause. Yeah, wonderful. Thank you. Now, she's on her assignment, and her assignment will be she'll be joining us in two weeks, and that's what we're going to have the big reveal. And also, at some point, um, as our correspondent, we're going to send you to, what is the name of that museum out there? It's a really crazy place. Zach Baggins. Zach Baggins. Ever hear of Zach Baggins? No, I have not. I went oh, online. Yeah, the, the, uh, the ghost hunting show. Yeah, the, it, it's uh, yes. ghost adventures. Yeah, they have the most. The, I'm sorry. Go the ahead. haunted museum is out here. So, and it's supposed to be legitimate, with real ghosts and and um, artifacts from serial killers and all okay. kinds of yeah. things. <laughs> yeah, wow. Enough of that. Yeah, it's supposed to have like the most haunted stuff in the world out there and stuff like that. Wow. So, yeah. Ella and her friend are going to go and be correspondents for us sometime soon. And they're going to uh, report back to us on the most haunted museum in the world. Okay, so thanks again. One, once more time. One. Yeah. Okay. Zach, thank you. Thank you, Ella, All for right. joining us. Thank you, Ella. You guys want right. me to class up the show? There Mission it is. I'll say. Wow. Why don't we do this? Why don't yeah. we take a soft break now, as they say in the business? We'll be right back after this. You're listening to Maloney's Mill Track Style Show here on the Distant Thunder Radio Network. We'll be right back after this. Imagine you knew what was going to happen two seconds before it happened. Imagine you live with the world's most beautiful supermodel. Imagine you drove a Jaguar with machine guns behind the headlights. Well, it's time to stop dreaming and start reading about Navy Lieutenant Chris Starr, hero of Mac Maloney's new best-selling paranormal detective series, Codenamed Starman. Who murdered the most beautiful tea girl in San Diego? Who's bombarding a small Massachusetts town with heavy artillery on Christmas Eve? Who's causing the mass murder of terrorists in the jungles of Africa? These are the cases Lieutenant Chris Starr must solve in the Kalashnikov Kiss, the first book in Mac's exciting new series, Codenamed Starman. Follow the Starman as he uses his psychic abilities to crack cases the U.S. Navy has declared too unusual. Find out why the Pentagon calls him the X-Files guy. And what is the wormhole anyway? To find out, get your own tomato can and be ready for action, strange adventures, paranormal activity, and lots of cover models. In Codename Starman, The Kalashnikov Kiss by Mac Maloney. On sale now at Amazon and your local bookstore. 
Welcome back, everyone, to Mac Maloney's Milk Track Style Show here on the Distant Thunder Radio Network. This is Mac Maloney. Wow, what a show this is turning into tonight, and it's only like 15 minutes into it. <laughs> I mean, one of those nights. Anyway, let me just go through this real quick. Uh, very famous Juan Juan is here in the studio. Hello, Mac. Yeah, maybe 15 minutes, but you know, it's been okay. a solid 15 minutes. On the phone with us in his bunker, looking out at the slits of the rest of the world. <laughs> the slits. I know that sounds filthy every time I say it, but it's true. <laughs> it always sounds like it's a World War II movie. They call him <laughs> Coco on the street, but we know him as Commander Coco. <laughs> Good evening, gentlemen. Very proud to be on the wing tonight, and I report that we are in light rain and uh, fog. Huh? Oh, and really? And Good. the horses and goats and sheep say hello. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. excellent. I'd like to think that was code, but I know it isn't. Um, Those cute animals. Also on the line with us, that national correspondent, Switchblade Seaford, up there in the Bowl of Flakes, Battle Creek of the Republic. How are you doing tonight, Switchy? Uh, doing really good. Really good. Okay, good to hear. And also, we have a special guest who, for some reason, has decided, you know, has agreed to hang on with us. A good friend, Ella, out there in Las Vegas. We have to. Hey, Ella. Hi. Thank you so much. You're fun. welcome. Thanks for being with us. Ella is another super fan, and uh, she's joining us for a couple segments tonight, and she's going to be joining us in the future. So, all the strawberry and balloons when it comes to that, right? Yeah. I'm looking at you as if you're going to agree with well, me. Well, she's she's a gambling person. She's out in Las Vegas, so she's she's gambling on hanging out in the show for the well, night, you know, okay, 20 minutes or so. Well, as someone who's gambled a little bit in the cell, it's, a, it's not a good bet. <laughs> but thanks for joining us, Ella. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mac. So um, um, we uh, the world wants to know, of course, what did Switch have for breakfast? Now, you have to... Um, we have to tell you, Ella, that you know, as kind of a newcomer to the show, we did a um, a conference on Labor Day weekend. We spoke, I don't know, about four or five hundred people there in the auditorium. Would you say? Yeah. And we took questions, and the first, a second question was: some guy came up and said, "All I want to know is what switch had for breakfast." <laughs> <laughs> that was funny. So, wasn't expecting that at all. No one was. So no, switch. I, I certainly wasn't. So uh, let's let's hear it. Please don't disappoint us. It's, it's been a tough week. I, I, I feel like I'm in a dark room with Let's, a bright light shining in my okay. face. Well, Let's okay. Pretend you are. <laughs> I had two wait, donuts. Wait, 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 wait. I want to hear Ella say. I want to hear Ella say. Let's hear it switch to open this up. Let's hear it switch. Ooh. Oh, that was my okay. I am now compelled to tell you that I had two donuts yes. this morning yeah. from the uh, bakery, a bakery in Battle Creek. Now, there aren't many donut places out here. If you go closer to the Detroit area, yes. you've got more donut establishments per capita than you do fire hydrants <laughs> and telephone poles. Really? But if you, you get out here, they get built a little sparse. So uh, there's one uh, one in Battle Creek that's pretty good. It's a small chain. Yes. And uh, once in a while, if, I'm, if I, I was there yesterday, I grabbed a couple donuts and just uh, kept them for this morning. Interesting. Okay. All right. And that doesn't, you don't, the whole thing about eating nutritious in the morning, most you know, important well, meal of the day. That. I don't do donuts every day, but okay. uh, you know, <laughs> that's good. To eat. Uh, other days, I, I I eat sugar frosted flakes, so you know, there's <laughs> right. fiber and steak and donuts, cheese. But, uh, do know. they have frosted flake donuts? That, I was just thinking that too. You know, that would be, be good. good. Yeah, that'd be good. I'm gonna. I got a feeling. Switch. Hello. Do they have sugar frosted flake donuts? <laughs> oh, you're asking me. Like, yeah, like I would know. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, you are in Battle well, Creek. You're, you're, you you live yeah. in the shadow of uh, the Big K. Big flake. That's so far above my pay grade. Is I, it really? I, okay. you know, I guess we gotta take that as a no. All right. <clears throat> so, um, I, I used to work for a company, an electrical wholesaler, that supplied material to Kellogg's, oh. and hmm. for a while they were the only supplier of uh, electrical parts. Wow. Hmm. 
Okay. Yeah. Well, this is and it was, it, was, it was crazy because you could not, when you would bag parts in, in uh, uh, bags or whatever, we would normally staple them. Yes. But you can't use any staples True. for, for Kellogg. Right. You had to use uh, tape or something like that. Mm-hmm. And once in a while, somebody would screw up and send a bag over with a uh, with a staple on it. Yep. And they would go crazy. They would they would lock down the area and treat it as if they'd had a radiation spill yeah, uh, or, or, a, or a crime scene yep. and rope it all off and they would just search the whole area to make sure there weren't any more. Right, right. Wow. Yeah. Qu- uh, qu- were, were, were these staples extraterrestrial in nature? I'm just curious. Wow. <laughs> these were, to oh, the no. best of my knowledge, just staples. Um, quick story about three how come f- when there's a hurricane or something and people say well, we're gonna, they're going to be a mad rush to the the uh, mar- uh, the Super marketplace Marcato? yeah and people say well we're, we're out there to, to buy staples staples what do you need staples for you know milk bread oh, eggs, oh I see okay, cheese right, right. those are staples <laughs> right oh wow am I right or what that was we're not going we're not going to staples to buy a new stapler <laughs> that is that is one of the most brainy things was that brilliant? one has ever is, it, is that worth the sound effect <laughs> mark the tape make sure that copies are put in the vault because that by far uh, I, I have had a few alcoholic beverages tonight before I got to what the that I know I know Shot. Well, we were at margaritas. In fact, I, it was like a bright flash of light. One one wow. used intelligence and humor in the same sentence. There you wow. go. Okay. There you go. I, and, and to our editor, isolate that segment of really? talking about staples. Put we a little music it, Use it as a drop it. later on. Drop. And okay. Cobra used humor and sarcasm in the same sentence. Wow. He did. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, that's, that's pretty steady, though. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Club, are you listening in on this and, and taking down notes and recordings and so on? Yeah, well, yeah, well, absolutely, you know, Mac. Since I'm, you I'm, didn't introduce me in this segment. Oh, never piss off the other guy. Ever, ever. You're right. We didn't get to him yet. Six nineteen. Wait. Good evening, everyone. Welcome back, Maloney's Military Stars Show. A special guest, Club, our security agent. So, but, but, okay. So, I just, I always think of the big brother listening in. You know what I mean? Kind of not. Well, I'm used to being in the closet as your security chief, so this is nothing new to, to be in the background. Yeah. But, and we'd never introduce yeah, him as right. He, he is great. He, he is he's happy to be here at all times. He's listening he's, in on the an, show. I thought he's an important person, <laughs> right, uh, behind the scenes. That's but true. You, you never introduce him and say he needs no introduction because, as it turns out, right, right. Uh, as it turns out, that security report you're going to give tonight, I think, is going to have to wait a couple weeks, Club. Okay. Yeah, you know, that's fine. It's pretty extensive. And, in fact, I, I have to go and get a, a shot tomorrow at the doctor's uh, because of this. And so I better <laughs> really? hold off on discussing club. <laughs> wow. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. Is well, that let's... covered under the uh, Mac Maloney Military X-Files uh, medical, or did Health. you have to give you use a supplement for that? No, the medical program that you guys offer here wasn't enough, so uh, I had to <laughs> wow. find a place down Uh-oh. the street. Wow. To... <laughs> Okay. Nothing worse. Nothing worse than when you have to go off market to uh, to take care of the things that you have to deal with. This is you can't unsee what you can't unsee. There's just no doubt. Absolutely. This night's been going down the drain since I hit margaritas. Since I had that first tequila, what happened? I, I wonder know. if there's a if there's a line that could be drawn between margaritas and going down the drain. Mm. Mm. <laughs> That'd be a fairly straight line, wouldn't it, be Ella? <laughs> I want Ella's opinion since Ella's hanging in here. She's the ultimate wing man, wing person tonight, wing woman. What uh, do you think about margaritas? Or yes. about going down yes. No, no, margaritas, and then we all talk about going down the drink. Um, I think I should have a glass of wine yeah, before I decide. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <Next>. <laughs> wow. 
Are there margaritas out there? Oh, yeah. Is there any alcohol in Las Vegas? Yeah, yeah. Lots of alcohol. There's lots of alcohol. Yeah. Okay. The great stuff. So listen, why don't we do this? Oh, let me uh, plug a few things while we're while we're here. Okay. First okay. of all, um, we are getting a new sponsor this week. Okay. Mm -hmm. It's Homes for Our Service People, mm -hmm. Homes for Vets. They're down in Taunton, Mass. We're going to start running great a PSC. Great, great. This, uh, yeah. This this uh, this show. We're glad to have them on board. They're going to have a spokesman on the show in a few weeks. And what they do is, and what attracted um, you know us to them is that. Of all the military assistant charities that are out there, and there are a lot of them, and not all of them are on the level, as it turns out, and it, and, and I think that's like the worst thing you can do to someone is you know, screw a veteran. But anyway, right. these people, Homes for Our Troops, they are the highest rated charity in the country when it comes to veteran yeah, services. I think they're almost in the 90%. Yeah, it's like 88%. Yeah. yeah. They're, they're down nearly 90%. And, and I keep close track on those guys. And what they do is it's it's for veterans of post 9-11 um, veterans, Iraq and Afghanistan, mm -hmm. and they build them houses and give them the house. It's as simple as that. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And and it's, it's hugely successful. In my opinion, we shouldn't need it. It's something that, you know, this country should not have to go to charities to do. Right. Should, the Veterans Administration should be doing this, but that's a whole other show. That's right. Okay? So we're going to be running this PSA and just listen to it and, and donate to them. You know, it's it's okay. You know, it's it's a really good charitable cause, and it goes to our veterans. And, and when are we starting that next week? The uh, PSA is going to be on this show. Okay, oh, it's okay. going to start on the show, right. and they're going to be with us. Uh, you know, for the next few weeks, I think we should probably. Yeah, definitely. Gonna, feel bad for the there's, vets. Don't. Yep, there's three vets on the show right now. I'm Fortunately, trying. we're. That's right. We're in good shape. And I'd like to say one of them drives a vet, but not yet. <laughs> um, so, um, uh, and also we're a uh, podcast now, podbean.com, mm -hmm. bean like in the vegetable, podbean.com. Uh, we're on 16 different uh, platforms, podcast platforms. Right. Stitcher, Stitcher. we always, iTunes. Um, iHeartRadio. iHeartRadio, TuneIn Radio. Um, but, uh, and if you have an Alexa in your house, just say, Alexa, play Mac Maloney's Military X-Files on Apple Podcasts. And man, oh man, there it is. That's that's the most fascinating thing to me, you know, to just call it out. And all of a sudden, the next thing you know is... Uh, yeah, it plays the latest show that's uploaded, right? Excuse me? It plays the latest show that was uploaded. <laughs> right, exactly. That's the featured show. And then there's a, there's a growing archive, um, you know, uh, on the site. And, and you know, it's, it's really... Um, our listenership has really gone up since we became a podcast. Did you listen to us on the radio or on the podcast? I listened to you on the radio. On the radio, on okay. UK, uh, Paranormal UK oh, Radio. Oh, okay. Switchies. Gotta, yeah. Switchies uh, Network, okay. Switchies uh, Station, there yeah. you go. Well, yeah, I've heard them too. That's why we're always... <laughs> oh. Oh, wow, I see now. Oh, uh, okay. Would it be unfair to me to ask if she's heard of my program? No. Because I'm already ready for the uh, letdown. I'm already I, I ready don't think for... we were done talking about my program. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. uh, Thank you, Francis. The high strangeness factor heard every fortnight on the Paranormal UK Radio for Network. But fortnight. now you can go ahead. Oh, thanks so much. Uh, every fortnight. Uh, yeah. That's a fancy way of saying that you was, take half the month off. I was going to say, yeah, you, you had us until you said fortnight. So look. So, um, well, that's good because the radio, people listen to us on the radio. It's the same show, but uh, there's a little bit of a different dynamic when you listen. And it's a radio show. And. You know, you've you've taken out the time at a certain time to listen. You know, on the podcast, you can listen anytime you want. That's really cool. I know. It's... So anyway, so um, who listens to live anything anymore? Basically, 
Yeah, I know. Not, we're not even live. I, I, I listened to Cousin Brucey live. That's about it. <laughs> Cousin Brucey's barely alive. He's about 102. <laughs> Cousin Brucey! <laughs> so listen. Well, we're we'll, we'll going down Stone I don't Age. Know. Okay. So uh, <laughs> why don't you save us, uh, uh, Switchy, and uh, you have our uh, report from the yes, Fringe? I do. And uh, the. Uh, uh, the, the sources for this. This is a, a pretty much about 1973. We've talked about 1973 before to some extent, but that was a very active uh, time for uh, uh, UFO encounters, uh, abduction experiences, uh, people seeing, uh, you know, having the close encounters of the third kind where they see a craft in conjunction with some kind of a humanoid. Uh, Situation Red, the UFO siege by Leonard Stringfield, and uh, 1973, Year of the Humanoids. Uh, by David Webb. David Webb was uh, uh, it was published by the Center for UFO Studies, and that, of course, was Dr. Hynek's group. Uh, everybody seems to know, or a lot of people now know who Dr. Hynek is because of that. Forgive me, awful TV show that is on uh, uh, what is it on the on History, I think, where they uh, it's called Blue Book, and uh, I don't mind. Uh, we've talked about this before. I don't mind if these shows take a little bit of license, but it's just. Uh, I mean, uh, this next week, I think they're going to have uh, Dr. Hynek on the set of Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Really? Well, that didn't occur until 1977, and this is supposed to be back in the 50s right. or 60s, or in the 60s, I guess. So, I, I don't know. they just uh, very disappointed with uh, – they did the, the Kelly Hopkinsville Goblins uh, out of Kentucky last week. And it was really disappointing the way they portrayed it. But anyway, uh, there was a lot of things going on at the time. And uh, Dr. Hynek, uh, they had a, he had a hotline. And just to give you an example, in 1975, 70% uh, of the reports they were getting were from police sources. So you were, you were getting some you know, very high-quality observers seeing strange objects in the sky. And uh, he estimated, Hynek estimated that about one-third of the sightings reported uh, by police officers were reported to, to the media or research groups. So uh, the the sources were pretty decent. They weren't just uh, uh, a lot of hoaxing or, or a lot of people that weren't uh, well-trained in observing these kinds of things. Now, uh, for example, uh, this is uh, this is 73. Uh, Sergeant Lester Shell and, and Patrolman Harry Jarrett, they're near Chattanooga, Tennessee. Uh, they get a retweet call. A woman calls and says that she's seen some strange light land uh, in the land near her. It's kind of rural near where she lives. And uh, it's a... Uh, so the police arrive, and they're surprised that, I mean, this whatever this is is still there. I mean, how many times do the authorities get there, and there's nothing there? So they see a cigar-shaped object. It's, uh, it's uh, just a few feet above the ground in this you know, kind of a wooded area, kind of a, a bluish-white light. It's near an elementary school. And uh, uh, the object was, uh, uh, like I say, it was stationary for a while. They're watching it. They get a good look at it. And all of a sudden, this thing just shoots up and then takes off at an angle and then uh, takes off at another angle, moves again, and moves off to the east. So it was a very short-duration sighting. And... Uh, uh, let's see. The uh, there were there were many 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 sightings. Uh, uh, David Webb documents all kinds of uh, interesting encounters uh, in his book 1973 Year of the Humanoids. Uh, there was uh, this one is is kind of a famous one, but it's it's one of these things where. Uh, it, it, there, there's some aspects that seem like perhaps uh, it was legitimate, but there are other things that make it seem like it was a hoax. Uh, uh, the uh, police chief, Greenhaw, in uh, North Carolina, uh, I'm sorry, in, in uh, Alabama, 
uh, Falkville, Alabama. He uh, uh, he gets a call, routine call. A woman says that uh, she sees this light. He comes out, doesn't see anything. Now he's going back, and he sees along the road this tall, silver-suited humanoid. Now he took several photographs of this thing, and they're 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 classic. You've seen, you've seen them in all kinds of UFO magazines over the year. But if you look at them, they're in color, a little blurry, but it looks like. Uh, a guy in a fire suit with some uh, aluminum foil embellishments, you know, pointed ears and, and so forth, pointed top and so forth. Not convincing at all. It's just that this guy claimed that he saw this thing run and make it, it was like it was running, uh, jumping on, like it had springs on the bottom of its feet. And so what, what it was moving supposedly very quickly, something that if, if he was hoaxed, uh, somebody could not move that quickly in the suit. He couldn't keep up with it. So he gets in his car, he loses it. And uh, so if this guy is a hoaxer, which may well be, and this was in the midst of a time period when a lot of people were seeing strange critters, uh, so to speak, humanoids. And another note is that this is, again, before the grays took over. We always, today, we always think of the grays, that classic, the large head, the large black eyes, tiny little spindly body. And there's virtually none of those reports in this time period. The the alleged humanoids in conjunction with these craft are all uh, quite a variety. Now, this guy, his, uh, somebody sets his trailer on fire. He, his wife what? leaves him. He gets divorced. <laughs> and they fire him from his job. So if he really did see something or if, if, if this was real, he had to have been hoaxed. But I don't see how anybody could have pulled this off. But so if he did actually hoax this himself, uh, his karma caught up to him and of course we're, we're not going to uh, deal a, a whole lot with hickson and parker this is the same time period in october in pascagoula mississippi when charles hickson and calvin parker were that the two pascagoula fishermen they were taken from the dock floated into some kind of a craft and uh, uh by what looked like they were kind of wrinkly humanoid beings um with uh, pointed ears and so forth and uh, that's a, a very classic case. And uh, Charles Hickson is, 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 uh, left us some while, a while ago. But Calvin Parker finally broke his silence recently and has written a couple of books about uh, what happened to him. And uh, if I have it here, uh, there, is a, there was a, in the list of, of other humanoid uh, encounters on the same date, October 11th, uh, a, a young man named Tanner Williams, a little kid, three years old, he was playing outside. He went in and he told his mother that he was playing with a monster. And the monster he described looked just exactly like these uh, Pascagoula aliens or, or what have you. But here's the part I want to talk about Pascagoula. Uh, Raymond Ryan and his brother Rainey on November 6th. Now, this is uh, uh, a few weeks after the Pascagoula incident. They're out and they're fishing in their boat and they see the strange light in the river. Now, I... Uh, uh, I remember this from uh, the uh, clipping. Uh, uh, Mac, do you remember the UFO news clipping service? Oh, yeah, sure. Uh, that was, so, yeah, that was a great, uh, too bad they don't have it anymore, yeah, but they would gather uh, articles from, you, you would find out that UFO sightings were always going on. Right. But it's just that they they were more uh, uh, they weren't carried beyond the local newspaper. Right. So these things were always active. One Every once in a while, one would hit the wire services, and everybody would hear about it. But uh, I remember reading about this strange light that they were you know they, they would put their oar in the water and it would recede, and uh, so they this uh, <clears throat> they were out there fishing. This thing was in less than ten feet of water, and. Uh, they they pursued it. The one guy had a motorboat, but he they couldn't keep up with it, and uh, they uh, they got a hold of the coast guard. The coast guard came out, 
and they in that 16 foot fiberglass boat and uh <clears throat> the guy a guy's name what nations and crews were the two guys and they they were they didn't see it at first but then they came up to another boat and the guy in the boat is pointing down like there's something down there and as they approach it they see this this light it's uh, maybe four four feet by five feet it's uh, so many feet under the water uh they they poke their uh, oar at it toward it and the oar the light seemed to uh to actually like an x-ray shine through the oar it was really strange it didn't leave a shadow and uh they the coast guard tried to pursue it but it got out of sight and went away so uh that was that was the only reason we know that is because leonard stringfield uh he contacted the people in this newspaper article and actually followed up on it so that's a pretty interesting uh, incident that you know we assume may be tied to the pascagoula incident right. but of course we really don't know right can, uh, I, uh, can I just uh, interrupt oh, yes. you here for a second um, absolutely i got a um something through the mail the other day we should talk about this off yeah maybe um that someone has done a Musical album about the Pascagoula sightings. Have you heard that? No. That they've done a musical adaptation to it. Really? Yeah. And this the one where the aliens looked like big carrots and they had the the, the hand and two eyes. Just the yeah, yeah. Eyes. They had yeah. like many, many people uh, comment on that one that they think that that may have been some kind of a robot or a uh, uh, mechanical uh, device. Okay. <laughs> In the form of a, of a carrot. <laughs> what? What are they in thinking the, of? <laughs> in, the, in the original book called The Pascagoula Incident, supposedly Hickson, under hypnosis, saw through some kind of a divider. It was kind of a window or a partition or something like that, uh, where he saw beings inside that looked more humanoid. Yes. And if that's, you know, again, it's just hypnosis, so you have to be careful. But the implication would be that the, there were, uh, you know, humanoid beings on there operating these uh Androids or whatever they it's, were. Uh, it's uh, it's those DAPA guys up to no good, don't you think, Cece? It, it could be. I I thought that when I first heard this case, I was uh, pretty pretty hard and fast that these guys were maybe having a little too much of the uh, of the alcoholic beverages and out fishing. But as time has gone by, and when I I saw a very short clip of a local news station when uh, the second uh, man who has, has survived is uh, talking about it i changed my opinion greatly and then when i have compared it to a couple other cases where they have talked about although with the carrot shape yes. you're talking about people using things that they understood or that were common to their experience at that time okay to try to talk about the shapes mm -hmm. but the thing that always that that caught me was when they talked about the lobster type claws yes, well right. you know these guys are fisher type guys you know fishermen they're, they're doing this activity crayfish all those kind of things so they're they likened it to things that they saw in their normal okay. uh, course yeah. of their, their their life and in, i have i really have become a champion of these guys because i think that they have a very very unique experience that uh, crosses and and lines up with a number of other cases that that go along with it. Right. Well, they were on. They were at the uh, Exeter Festival with us, weren't they? Uh, Switch or one of them was, wasn't he? Uh, no, I don't think so. Okay. Charles Hickson. Uh, so he's anyway. uh, long deceased, and uh, okay. uh, Calvin Parker is uh, is well, making the rounds. Like the radio. people that are running for presidential office, Whoa, Mac could have it. been with somebody uh, there. So that's <laughs> it's long since deceased. That's not a problem. It. I don't get that joke, but that's okay. But, somebody but dressed Charles up Hickson as a was a repeater. Charles Hickson saw more okay. than uh, oh, really? see yeah? okay. other. He would be out hunting, and all of a sudden, it would get dead silent. What they call the Oz factor, and he'd yes. see a UFO. Hmm. Uh, and of course, you know who Ray Stanford is, a, yes, sure, a yeah. great uh, UFO researcher. He's the one that uh, investigated the Socorro, New Mexico landing. Oh, yep, yep. Well, well, he uh, he went with uh, Charles Hickson. 
to the one-year anniversary on the dock there where they were taken yes. just to see if anything would happen. Yep. He didn't really think anything would. But he was uh, – uh, Ray Stanford had the uh, Starlight International Project down in Texas mm-hmm. where he had kind of a, uh, a, a, a Fox Landing uh, uh, strip right. for UFOs, but right. he was getting he was getting all kinds of strange objects on on the on film. Well, he took Charles Hickson down there because he he suspected that he might draw something in, and sure enough, they had a real classic UFO sighting uh, of like a bright light in the sky. Mm-hmm. And uh, he said he said Hickson didn't react to it very much at first, but then afterwards he said something like you know like like well. Well, golly, what, what, did you see that? You know, just kind of took it in stride. Okay. But he had had several repeat experiences, right. as some people do that uh, are are in this kind of a situation. Right, right. So, listen, that's uh, I, I always uh, that's a fascinating story. Isn't it Pascalula? Isn't it right close to a navy base or a shipyard, though? Right? Season? Yes, it is. Both. Yes. Yeah, both. Okay. both? Yep. Yeah, okay. Hey, listen, what we're going to do now, we're going to take a break. Thank you for that report there, Switchy. Let me give Switch us yeah, We job. never clap for Switchy. My pleasure. Yeah, never, ever do we recognize Switch's accomplishments, <laughs> yeah. ever. Hey, Club, did that pass a security <laughs> check? I was. Any swearing on that? Anything we have to cut out, Clubby? No, it sounds good, but okay. I wanted to just let Switchy know the good news that Blue Book is being renewed by the network for another season. Oh, yeah. Yes. And, and if, if, we're go- if we are going to diss a network that's not supporting the show, That'd be it. we should get it right. And it was correct. It is history. And I do not like the show any more than Switch does. No. Mm. Okay. Um, so listen, yeah, it's on that note, why don't we uh, take a commercial break now? And uh, we'll be right back after this. You're listening to Mac Maloney's Milk Tracks Show here on the Distant Thunder Radio Network. We'll be right back. I was in the hospital with my son for 18 months. When he got injured, I knew I had to be strong. I just remember rushing into his room and giving him a big hug and letting him know I was there. These veterans and families are just a few of the heroes we serve at Homes for Our Troops. We build specially adapted custom homes with features like wheelchair access and automatic door openers that allow them to focus on their recovery and family. This house is freedom. It's hope. It's a new beginning. Visit HFOTUSA.org. Tracks on our show here on the Distant Thunder Radio Network. Man, this is Mac Malone. Well, what a show this has turned out to be. Um, we've had a lot of hijinks earlier in the show. We did. Okay, that voice you hear is a very famous one one, girls. I had to give you my backup sound effect device. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's, that's how bad the show is. That's right. Cobra gave me that. Right, emergency um, sound effects, right? Yeah, Cobra gave it to me. Oh, really? Yeah? Yes. Oh, probably a little tam- camera in it or something. <laughs> you could be. Speaking of Cobra. He's on the line with us uh, up there in the bunker up in the Great White North looking out at the rest of us. Coco. Glad to be on the wing and just get ready where I'm going to give you next one. one. The chicken wing. Okay, I can't wait. All right. Do I have to rendezvous with you to get this? Run it through the club. Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. It sounds intriguing. That was the word of the. I love that word, rendezvous. All right. You speak French? Look at Rally point. Rally point. All right, listen. Up there in the uh, Bowl of Flakes up in uh, Battle Creek, Michigan, our national correspondent, Switchblade Steve Ward. It is great to be here. Okay, two donuts in. Two donuts in this morning, right? Yes. Wow. I remember that used to be my breakfast. On the phone with us is um, John Jackson Millen. He's an author, and he has written Star Wars books, okay? One? Right. Okay, good. Okay, John, you're there, right? John Jackson (laughs) Miller. (laughs) Glad to be here. Okay, good to hear. So you're up in Wisconsin we were talking about off here. 
That's right. Uh, up in the dead center of the state, accent on the dead. Which is about 10 below up there right now or what? No, it's actually pretty good this week. Okay. It's, uh, it's uh, just uh, probably around 30 right now. Yeah, why, that's do you decent. Up, why do you live up there? Uh, I came here about 25 years ago. The uh, company I went to work for uh, was, at the time, uh, when it still existed, it was the world's largest publisher of hobby magazines. So I came up oh. to run a uh, the trade magazine for the comic book industry. Oh, cool! Uh, and I also ended up uh, running uh, Comics Buyer's Guide, the uh, the weekly newspaper. Uh, and later on, I also was uh, running Scry, which was the card game magazine yes. uh, for Magic: The Gathering and Star Wars and all those other games. Yeah, sure. Uh, and uh, you know, through hmm. all of that, I ended up you know meeting a lot of people in the business and. Uh, started moonlighting uh, comics first for uh, for Marvel with Iron Man, uh, and then uh, other publishers, uh, Simpsons uh, comics, and various other things. Simpsons. Uh, and then, oh yeah, wow. uh, did some when, Simpsons. My favorites. Comics. When you say moonlighting, oh, yeah. when you say moonlighting, what? Oh, I didn't. I didn't introduce Ella, did I? Yeah, no, you didn't. Did I? No, I didn't. Here we go. Okay. Sorry. No, you didn't. Ella, remember I'm... that Ella one one was ready to steamroll right over you once again. <laughs> Ella, shut up. Ella, a friend in Las Vegas <laughs> is joining us. Ella, I'm sorry. I, I apologize. You still there? Ella, our super fan She's of gone. Mac Mullins, Mildred yeah. X-Files from Las Vegas, Nevada. It's supposed to be a special occasion. Are you still there, Ella? Yes, I'm still here. Okay. And the weather is just beautiful today. Of course. Okay, as I told you earlier in the episode, you should be drinking heavily at this point, Ella. Uh, How did you know? And you can drink in public in Las Vegas. Can I get back to this? I'm just kidding. (laughs) I'm having a bourbon. So wait. Uh, Hey, listen, John. uh, So when you say moonlighting, what does that mean? Were you actually doing the uh, the comic? Uh, Well, I was uh, while I was working on the magazines and uh, the books that I was doing for the publishing company. uh, I got hired by Marvel to uh, to do a comic series, and then got more comic series. Then Star Wars uh, came calling with uh, Dark Horse Comics. Right, right. Uh, and so I was uh, basically you know, doing 20-hour days for a while there, mm-hmm. uh, putting out a whole lot of material. And uh, finally, about uh, 13 years ago, I, I uh, retired to the house to uh, you know, do all the all the comics and novels and other things that I've been doing since. Yeah, cool. Yeah. All right. Well, you know, we lead similar lives in a way, so I kind of know what you're talking about, you know. But um, it's cool that you're plugged into something like Star Wars, you know. I mean, it's let's face it. Everyone knows what Star Wars is. Absolutely. So, yeah, and you know, it's it's one of those things where Star Wars opened the door to a lot of other franchises. So, uh, you know, I've, a lot of uh, what I've been doing the last two, three years has been for Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then also I've... Yeah, just last year I wrote uh, a graphic novel for the 40th anniversary of Battlestar Galactica. Oh, nice. Uh, I've done, I I did graphic novels last year for, uh, original graphic novels last year for the Lion King movie and also for uh, the Dumbo movie, of all things. Yeah, cool. Uh, So, uh, you know, I've been able to kind of use that passport uh, you know, once they know that you can, you know, handle yes. uh one of these big franchises characters without screwing everything up, right? Uh, that that kind of helps you get in the door other right, places. Right. Make their job as easy as possible is the best way to get by. It that, seems, you know, that, that's exactly right. And you know, leave everything in the shape that you found it. <laughs> no, I'm a huge fan of the. Uh, I'm a huge fan of the graphic novel uh, genre. What do you do? Uh, do you do the writing uh, portion uh, of it, or do you do the, uh, the kind of the structuring where you're you're trying to put the whole story together? 
Well, I, I'm a writer. I've been asked not to draw. Uh, I have no, <laughs> talent, have no talent for that. But, you know, when, uh, you know, modern comics writing, uh, you know, you are doing what we call breakdowns, which is uh, you're, you're telling the, uh, the in, in a full script, you're telling the artist right, what, what, what the, the flow is going to be for your story. That's right. How, how many how many panels are going to be on the page, and what's going to be the biggest image, and that sort of thing, and you know sometimes uh, you know you'll have uh, you know minimal interaction with your artists. Uh, you know some of my artists on Star Wars were overseas, mm -hmm. uh, but then you know sometimes you know the editors will get you really heavily involved. Uh, you know with uh, with uh, some of my Star Wars comics, I I got to you know go in and and do revisions on. Uh, you know, my my dialogue and stuff like that after the art had been done. Uh, and then, uh, you know, sometimes sometimes you get to do quite a lot. I, I think uh, one of the uh, big experiences on the, the Galactica thing I did was I had to go over all the art and uh, figure out which things were uh, the, the starships from the 1979 TV series and which ones were accidentally ones from the 2003 wow. TV series. <laughs> they didn't, uh, you <laughs> couldn't have them, they didn't coexist? Well, they didn't coexist, and uh, unfortunately, I was the only person who was alive on the book when <laughs> the TV show was on. Yeah, so. wow. that's always a, that's so, always so, a great so, realization that you were the only one that was around uh, when you're working a project like when, that. That's uh, when, that's heart rendering. When you do a, uh, it's a lot of fun though. When, when you do a graphic novel, now you were saying in, in some cases you don't have any interaction with the artist at all. Well, I send them a full script, mm -hmm. and so and they take you know, it from it, there. It, they take it from there, oh. and they they will translate it. Uh, and uh, if it's if it's somebody overseas, and you know, a, a fun thing that happened uh, about a year and a half ago is uh, I I one of my characters that I created in Iron Man uh, turned up as the villain in Ant Man and the Wasp, the the movie. Nice. That came out. Really? Yeah. Came out. Okay. Huh? And so. They brought me and my wife out for the, uh, you know, for the, uh, you know, for the premiere, and you know, I got to see my name at the end of the movie. Cool. And the gentleman, the gentleman sitting at the, to my right, uh, you know, I, we had never met before, and he didn't speak English. <laughs> and come to find out, he was my artist on those comics fifteen years ago. Since, and, is he South Korean? Uh, no, he's he, he's from Argentina. Okay, so because right. uh, I know that the it, Simpsons so was, are done in South Korea, right? Yeah, the right. Oh yeah, there's yeah. everything's all international. But right. uh, but anyway, we we all had a great time, and oh. it it's one of those things where you know comic books used to all be done in basically about a, a three block radius in New York City. Sure, yeah, you got uh, it. And nobody does that anymore, except you know Marvel's still there, and that's about it. Right. Uh, everybody else is decamped for places where, uh, you know, the real estate is cheaper. Yep. Uh, and, of, and of course, none of the artists are actually in New York you know, city anyway, uh, themselves They're ever since federal express came along, people can live anywhere as, right. as yep. yeah, you yeah. see now and, and the internet. Yeah. 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 Yep. A lot of those guys live over in Jersey. Now, I, Jersey I have to city. take the, uh, I got to take the quick moment and right. go for the, uh, what I have said repeatedly on this program and for a number of years to Mac and private. Mac Maloney writes uh, in the Wingman series a so well uh, in the description of how he sets up the scenes. It is screaming for a graphic novel version of of Wingman. I have I have begged this for years. I, I only ask God at night and Saint Michael that I live long enough. Saint Michael, once. wow. So Saint Michael, you know, that, is my, that is, is saint. absolutely true. Wingman it, would be you. great graphic novel. Oh novels. my God! I mean, when you read it, you. The only problem will be is that you've created images because the way Mac writes, 
in your brain of how it's going to look. And if the artist doesn't capture it, you're going to get probably a little bit bent out of shape. But I am, I, I hope to God that I live long enough to see just one. Okay, that's exactly a minute. Thank you, Coco. We're going to take that out and use that as a. Let's isolate that and use it as a drop. (laughs) I should have apologized. So, so, (laughs) it's all good. So, um, I mean, we got to talk a little bit about Star Wars. We're going to have a a guest on later on. Um, that is has uh, written Star Trek books. If you want to hang around, I, I you know I can imagine you guys having a fight. But I mean, you're you're in this you're in the same business. Basically, uh, who who is the guest? His name is Mark Cushman. Oh yeah, you know uh, him. Uh, uh, no, I I I know the name. It, it's uh, I'm trying trying to remember the specific name of the book, but I think it's it's a it's a behind the scenes book on the original series. Right, is what yeah. I'm thinking. Yes, yep. It mm-hmm. is, and right. it was actually a is really the same outstanding one that did book. Zone? It could be. Yeah, book? I don't know. Yeah. yeah, I I remember I referred to his book. Uh, I I did a piece on Star Trek for um, uh, Entertainment Weekly. Did a special uh, for the 50th anniversary, and I I did a piece on how I love Lucy, uh, or rather Luce, Lucille Ball from I Love Lucy. She saved Star Trek. Absolutely. Wow. So you will yes. yes. completely overlooked. So you will want to ask him about that. How? Uh, I mean, why? Because <laughs> Desi Lu produced it. Yes. Well, uh, yeah, uh, uh, she got the TV. She got the uh, the the uh, TV studio in the divorce. Oh really? And, oh okay. All right. Yeah. And yeah. was looking for new programming uh, to actually be owned by Desi Lu because all they had at that time was the Untouchables, and it had just gone away. Wow. Interesting. And, really. Okay. And uh, and basically Roddenberry and another packager. Uh, you know, came to Desilu, uh, or uh, came with two packages. One was uh, one was Star Trek. The other was uh, Mission Impossible. Wow! Uh, and they ended up running both of them. And uh, actually, Leonard Nimoy ended up being on both of them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, after the original uh, you know, Trek pilot, it uh, uh, NBC turned it down because uh, mm-hmm. they they didn't like uh, they didn't like the the, the pilot, and th- they were just going to ash can the whole thing. And Lucille Ball said, "No, whatever it takes, get this thing on the air." Wow, and, there's a little bit of history. That's, huh? that's good. And yeah. she would, and, and as I remember reading that, she would be on set a number of times. She was a real taskmaster, oh, wow. keeping the uh, keeping oh. the, uh, the the cost uh, down. I bet you so that was a lot of fun. She, uh, Mark would know that better than me. But, Let me uh, ask you it, this, it, though. It, yeah, the hey, broad man. strokes of it are, are, you know, I think what I've got. Okay, so so, the, so in other words, the, when they got divorced, she got the studio and the divorce. Settlement? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, I got a feeling that Desi still got the better half of the deal from hearing about her. You know, she's a really a piece of work, correct? But isn't it no true comment. that she lost, she lost the studio? They were having financial troubles. But they uh, Star Trek would have stayed on the air if they had done something and looked at uh, – the uh, uh, what's the word I want when they when they residuals uh, the residuals the, not, not 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 the residuals but the, the, the viewers no no the, the viewers oh, the, oh, yeah. Yeah, the Nielsen the Nielsen yeah the Nielsen ratings yeah Nielsen's but there's there's a certain graph that what else I want the graphic the uh, okay yeah the who was actually listening the skew they had, didn't yeah, do yeah. that till the next year the skew, and when right. they yeah. did it to the next year and they found out who was listening they thought what the heck what did we cancel this for wow, the people that fun. buy things were listening to it yeah yeah and then, yeah of course yeah. when it went to syndication it went nuts yeah yeah it's I'm sorry. Yeah, that's true. The uh, they 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 didn't start actually uh, micro-targeting commercials uh, until right at the end of the 1960s, and that is why you had in TV what was known as uh, the the rural the rural purge, where they in one year they got rid of every basic you know rural hillbilly kind of show that was on TV. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. they all they all 
all were replaced by All in the Family, Mary Tyler Moore, uh, you know, sophisticated urban comedies. Right. Uh, and again, this is way off into the well, woods. I know this is crazy, but that guy Fritz. I, in a I, galaxy I, far, far away, this is exactly. what happened. This is uh, Fred, uh, Fred Silverman, the guy who was behind all that. He just passed away like last month. He was the guy who came did, in. And, and it, what's interesting is all these things are connected, even with Star Wars. You know, somebody had noted on a on a group that I'm in today that the 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 pilot episode of Happy Days uh, appeared 48 years ago today, and this was it, it actually was part of a TV series called Love American Style. Yes, oh, yeah, that show yeah, goes yeah. on. That show yeah. goes on the shelf. It doesn't sell, and then two years later, George Lucas puts out American Graffiti. Right, and the and Gary Marshall immediately goes back and says, "Oh my gosh." George Lucas made all this money with this. This is this is a wave. Right. We got to get Happy Days on the air. Right, right, right. And so, uh, you know, that's a case where you know Happy Days ends up happening because of George Lucas. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. But everything, like you course, say, everything is really interconnected out there. I mean, you know, you know this guy, you know that guy. Directing Solo later on. So, I mean, wow. I have a question. Go ahead, please. Yes. Okay. When uh, before the film, the first Star Wars film came out, the novel came out. And it was by by George Lucas. And I picked it up and read it, and I thought, this yeah. sounds exactly like Edmund Hamilton. Yeah, Are you familiar with Edmund oh, Hamilton? Yeah, it's uh, and of course it wasn't. It was Alan Dean Foster uh, who ghost right. wrote ghost wrote the book. Wow. And but he it, also, it wasn't wasn't Star Wars very much like? Uh, I mean, Edmund Hamilton wrote this kind of. He and his wife Lee Brackett wrote yeah. this kind of great sort of space opera stuff. And I thought it sounds just like the old pulps. Well, I I, I don't doubt that. You know, uh, Alan was probably uh, you know riffing on some of that at the time uh, when he was writing the book, uh, because again, he hadn't seen what a lot of the stuff was actually going to look like. Um, they put right. that book out in December of '76 uh, with the intention yeah. of getting some buzz going beforehand. Uh, and likewise, the comic books came out, I guess, two years before. And actually, that's kind of how I enter the story because the the first sort of grown up comic book I ever got was Star Wars number one from Marvel. Uh, and and that actually, uh, I, I ended up reading the comic book adaptation before I saw the movie because we ah. couldn't even get in to see the movie because the, the lines were so long. Right. Uh, I got to tell you, in, but, in, when that came out, when Star Wars first came out, I just happened to be in film school, Juan Juan. And yes. Remind me every week. And You got a PhD in film school. That's you? right, yeah. Um, they, they like, one of the classes I was in, they stopped it. Whatever we were taking, whatever books, and they made us go see Star Wars, you know, because really? it was like like a field trip down the street to see. It was Star Wars. literally down the street, yeah. you know, the Child's Street Theater or something, you yeah. know, because the editing in it and the way that he put it together was whether it's about stars or whether it's about you know chickadees, you know, the oh, way yeah. he put it together is was groundbreaking, you know, mm -hmm. and it changed movies for a long, long time. One of the cool things that happened when I I visited Lucasfilm the first time, and and that was. That was because I was writing the adaptation for Indiana Jones uh, 4, the Crystal Skull movie. Uh, I, I got to see uh, in in the Lucasfilm offices, uh, one of the things they've got, they've got the compositing machine that they use to actually do all the special effects. Uh, the, and it's this thing is like the size of a minivan. It's a big camera wow. uh, that that would you know it would it would take the multiple levels of the uh, of of the you know the film cells and uh, you know composite you know one image on top of another on top of another. Uh, and uh, it's it's one of the artifacts that uh, they've got in there. And I, again, it's just really cool. Hey, listen, before we go to a break, I mean, what's George Lucas? What's he do these days? Does he do anything? 
Counter's money. He's working on his museum. Oh, so he does nothing. Okay, all right, that's good. Uh, hey, listen, well, yeah, well, gosh, this this thing is this thing is this this huge production that uh, I can't remember where it, I think it's, it's in California where it's going. Well, he's still running uh, Industrial Light and Magic, right? Does he? I, I thought he just no. got out isn't, of it. Isn't that? I think he got out of it. Oh, he, he sold everything. Yeah, he, he sold everything. Yeah. Oh, oh, okay. yeah. Well, he used to and date. So he used to date Linda Ronstadt. You know that? No, yeah, really. Yeah. yeah. Hey, listen. Hmm. Why don't we take a commercial break now? How about that? Okay. We can regroup. Okay. And we'll be right back after this. You're listening to Mac Maloney's Military Express Show here on the Distant Thunder Radio Network. Our special guest is John Jackson Miller. He writes Star Wars books about a whole lot more. And I find this really interesting. He's just showbiz stories. So we'll take a commercial break now. We'll be right back after this. Imagine you knew what was going to happen two seconds before it happened. Imagine you lived with the world's most beautiful supermodel. Imagine you drove a Jaguar with machine guns behind the headlights. Well, it's time to stop dreaming and start reading about Navy Lieutenant Chris Starr, hero of Mac Maloney's new best-selling paranormal detective series, Codename Starman. Who murdered the most beautiful tea girl in San Diego? Who's bombarding a small Massachusetts town with heavy artillery on Christmas Eve? Who's causing the mass murder of terrorists in the jungles of Africa? These are the cases Lieutenant Chris Starr must solve in the Kalashnikov Kiss, the first book in Mac's exciting new series, Codename Starman. Follow the Starman as he uses his psychic abilities to crack cases the U.S. Navy has declared too unusual. Find out why the Pentagon calls him the X-Files guy. And what is the wormhole anyway? To find out, get your own tomato can. And be ready for action, strange adventures, paranormal activity, and lots of cover models. In Codename Starman, the Kalashnikov Kiss by Mac Maloney. On sale now at Amazon and your local bookstore. This is Mac Maloney. One 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 is in the studio. Hello, Mark. Um, uh, Hi, Juan, how are you? Excellent. Steve Ward, Thank you. Uh, up in Battle Creek, Michigan, is with us. Command the Cobra, way up there in Maine, is with us. Good evening, sir. And also from Las Vegas, our good friend Ella is with us still. I hope. Yes, I'm still here. Okay, good. And um, well, there's a whole bunch of us. Well, there's okay. one. There's one more. John Jackson Miller, who is uh, someone that you might know from your biz, is on the line with us too. We envision this and, as and, and Vic is coming in too, right? Who? Who? Vic Mignotta? Uh No, no, not on this show. I don't, I don't think we can get that many. <laughs> okay, okay. See, we envision this as you guys would have like a fist fight on the air, right? But I don't think it's going down that road. Do you? you know, no, Star no, Wars uh, is a Star Trek. Definitely or? like uh, an ivory and ebony moment. <laughs> it, uh, it is. It's a mutual admiration society. Yeah. Well, when Cobra is bringing up the musical. Uh, illusions, we're in trouble. You ain't kidding. So, uh, hey, listen, uh, first, Mike, thanks for joining us tonight. And um, uh, and John has been nice to come on and talk about Star Wars, but he's also talking about, like, kind of the business, the comic book business, and also, you know, the writing of, you know, um, um, you know, series comic books and stuff like that. But your book on Star Trek, we were talking more about the history of Star Trek with the Star Wars guy than anything else, right? Yeah. I mean, and he, re- and yeah, he referred I, to you. He referred to you and your, and your opus. You so there you go. Yeah, I... Uh, I uh, Mark, I, I, John Jackson Miller, I, I, I'm currently writing Star Trek novels for Discovery. So, uh, uh-huh. and I, I've got, I've got a copy of uh, These Are the Voyages, uh, the season one. So I'm, I'm a fan already. Oh, those are great. All right, thank you, John. These are the Voyages. Yeah. 
We're actually we actually have a fourth book out, which covers the first half of the 1970s, and a fifth book will be out in a few months, which covers the last part. First part of the 1970s included Star Trek: The Animated Series, mm-hmm. and this next volume includes uh, Star Trek: The Motion Picture, and right before that, Star Trek: Phase Two, which was the aborted series right. that Paramount was going to launch a fourth network with. Mm-hmm. And so you get to walk through all that process as well. Sounds like I got to get that. <clears throat> See, the, the, the thing about Star Trek, and and I mean, I kind of like both, you know. And I think a lot of people that you talk to like both, you know, for different reasons. Absolutely. Right? And um, the thing about Star Trek, though, and I, and Star Wars is doing this now more, and maybe it's just my imagination. I don't know, but you can really kind of take any kind of route you want with Star Trek. You know what I mean? It's a really mm-hmm. open kind of canvas, if I can use that word. Yeah. It's the most uh, open format. I'm aware of, and I worked in television for many decades, and Completely you agree. could go anywhere, you could do anything with Star Trek. You weren't tied to a specific war, or mm-hmm. like in Star Wars with the uh, the Force or anything like that. Uh, any Every planet you went to was, was walking through a new door. Yeah, sure. And so it was a great opportunity for the writers, and I, I wrote uh, for uh, Star Trek... Uh, Next Generation and Star Trek continues, mm-hmm. and I wrote these cool. books about the original Star Trek. And, and so it, it really allowed you to go anywhere your imagination could go, as long as you kept those characters, took them along for the ride, and kept them in the forefront. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and um, you know, the thing about the Star Trek, too, is, um, and I'm dating myself, but... Um, it's a real, there's a real, you know, 60s vibe to it, I think. You know what I mean? It's, I don't oh, yeah. to say it's yeah. a hippie thing, but it's it's that kind of like, you know, we come in peace and we're going to, you know, screw up your lives, but we'll take care of it at the end, right? The I mean, 60s vibe without the 60s haircuts? Something like that, yeah. So, you know and what I mean? it still does. Even, even the, uh, even the spinoffs, they still have that. That, little, yeah. Yeah. that was something that was very important to Gene Roddenberry is uh, he felt if we were going to survive and make it into that era, that we were going to have to learn to live together. Mm-hmm. And so that's what he wanted to show us. And re- keep in mind, the first show came on in the 1960s during the Cold War and Vietnam nice. and uh, riots all across America. And so uh, kid, kids and teenagers and college students especially were looking for something on TV that gave them hope that maybe yeah. maybe the world was still going to be here in 20 years. And that show did that. And so all the uh, the Star Trek spinoffs have carried that um that idea along with them, which I think is very good, because I, in these troubled times, I think we need that more than anything. So was uh, Rodden- it's fun to watch a good it's fun to watch a good war story now and then too, like Star Wars. Was um, <clears throat> Roddenberry? I heard that he used to like smoke pot on set and so on. He did. Um, by the time they were making Star Trek, the motion picture, absolutely. Yes. <laughs> uh, before that, he was part of the cocktail generation. He was a former yes. uh, combat uh, pilot. A and very distinguished combat really? uh, yeah. pilot yeah. and airline. Oh yeah, pilot. yeah. Survived His, uh, the crash. The uh, how he led those passengers out of that crash is absolutely wow. overlooked. When did they? Yeah, across the Syrian desert. Yep. Really? Yeah. Holy cow! It, it, what? what yeah, when was and, this? And by, and by the way, did did you know that that um, uh, he had a couple broken ribs when he did that? Yep. What was this during World yeah, War II? You're talking about World War yes. II? And no. Was, no. Oh, oh no! Not, World not, War II. Not the airline crash. World yeah, War II, in World War II, he flew out of the Philippines okay. and on bomber missions. Wow! Uh, but uh, the uh, airplane uh, developed mechanical difficulties and did a crash landing. He lost a couple crew members, uh, so he walked away from that one. And then after the war, he was a pilot for um, Pan American, and uh, he was actually a passenger on that jet 
that was flying him back to another city where he was going to pilot a, a plane from, yeah, and it dead. crashed in the desert, Whoa. and everybody in the cockpit was killed. Whoa. So Roddenberry was the only uh, air, air, uh, airline official who was on the plane, and he led all the passengers across the desert hundreds of miles, and he had broken ribs and what? cuts and everything what? else, and he got those people out of there. Wow, why why isn't that a movie? You know what I mean? Oh, That's... it's there. I, in in fact, it was often talked that he was going to write a uh, a version of that as a novelized uh, version. Yes. Uh, somewhat biographical, and it never went anyplace. And it's a shame because the man was absolutely incredible. Wow. I just want to throw uh, ask uh, John Jackson Miller a question, John. I mean, do you yeah. feel when you when you're doing a Star Wars book? I mean, what do they do? Did they give you like a list of rules or something? Or they just say, well, he knows it by now. Well, if I if I'm working with Star Wars, Star Trek, or Galactic, or any of the other licenses I've been working with, you know, you're working for, with the editors at the either the comic book company or the or the novel publishing company, but then you also are working with uh, the people that are doing the uh, you know at the studio who are handling the licensing. Uh, and one of the things that's uh, been kind of cool is over the last few years. You know, all all the licensed stuff used to be disposable. It really didn't have any, you know, bearing on the original series. Yep. Now, both with Star Wars uh, and also with Star Trek, uh, you know, the what happens in the novels uh, ties in significantly more to the uh, the TV shows. Mm-hmm. One of the cool things uh, about the book I just did uh, that came out last year called The Enterprise War uh, is, and it, and this ties into a. a a piece that's you know significant in the history in Mark's first book, um, you know, because the Discovery TV series is set uh, ten years before the original uh, series, uh, they decided to pick up the Captain Pike character and oh, run with him. Nice, yeah. and um, so now you know Anson Mount has uh, appeared as. Uh, as Captain Pike more than any other actor, and he only he only had to wait till like his second episode to get to that. Who's the guy? <laughs> to get um, to that line. The original guy but, in the uh, series in the uh, pilot, Jeffrey. What was his name? Jeffrey Hunter. 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 Jeffrey Hunter. Yeah, right. Wow. Wow, that's good. That's an interesting thing. That's kind of cool. Uh, yeah, I like that idea that you can kind of go back and you know, I don't know, you know, meet a, 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 fa- a main character in a future Rep- show. Reprise the character. Yeah, or something. Or, or, or go into the younger part of his life or whatever. You know, yeah. that's cool. There's, that's, uh, there's there's footage from the cage that's in one of the episodes of Discovery. So as right. far as they're concerned, it's all one continuum. Uh, you know, even and of course, you know, the cage is this discarded or was this originally discarded pilot and right. you know it ends up making its way. Uh, I, I think this this book is uh, or, or rather the, the that script has had a, a much longer lifespan than anybody imagined it would have. I'm going to say I have uh, a question for both gentlemen. Go ahead. We should I, remind I just wonder, my, everybody. Oh, go but, ahead. I'm oh, sorry. My new one, listen to Mac Mullins Mill Track Star Show here on the Distant Thunder Radio Network. We're having a Star Wars Star Trek uh, discussion with uh, good friends John Jackson Miller and Mark Cushman. Mark Cushman has written Star Trek book. John has written Star Wars book, but it turns out that I guess they kind of cross pollinate as uh, the big word that one one used earlier. Okay. Yes. Uh, my favorite, uh, it's my favorite word. Coco's here and and the uh, Switchy and also a good friend Ella out there in Vegas. So uh, go ahead, Switch, please, with your question. Uh, yes, okay. My still my favorite is the original Star Trek series. Uh, did do you guys have a favorite, or do you kind of get into the the when you're doing a treatment for a particular a particular version of Star Trek? Does that become your favorite? But no matter what, although I, I do like other versions, I, I always have this great sort of first love for the original Star Trek uh, series. No matter how cheesy the special effects. <laughs> here, here. Really? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yep. 
So who do you want to answer? Oh, both, both of you. Whatever, Mark, whatever. go ahead, Mark. Well, uh, the first season, uh, my favorite episode is This Side of Paradise, which was written by Dorothy Fontana, who was a friend uh, of mine. We just lost her a couple months ago, sadly. Uh, and I, it's a brilliant episode because in my books, what I do is uh, I have a chapter for each episode, which is maybe 15 pages long, and it includes the memos from Gene Roddenberry and Dorothy and Gene Kuhn and Stan Robertson and NBC, and and them having discussions through memos on every episode, every script, on the production problems with Bob Justman coming forward, and so forth. So you you get to walk through the entire experience of every one of these episodes, seeing them yes. written, and, and may I interrupt you and briefly. Prepared. These books and, are and, superb, absolutely superb. I, I recommend thank, thank them highly. Go ahead. Um, yeah, Leonard Nimoy called me after the first one came out and, and sounding just like Spock, and I'm not going to do an impression, but he said, Mark, the research is astounding. Wow. And i got to right. tell you, i got to really chill is. up my spine having Spock say that to you. Wow. Yeah, really. But <laughs> This Side of Paradise is a great episode because one of the things Gene was always pushing for, and you see it in his memos, is he said, remember, Kirk is the protagonist. He's the guy, he's the storyteller. His mm -hmm. captain logs are telling us the story. Mm -hmm. So every episode has to be about Kirk. But at the same time, a good writer like Dorothy could do a great Kirk story and a great Spock story in the same episode. Yeah, this is the one where Spock gets shot by spores on a planet, <laughs> and he's able to experience emotion, and he falls in love with Jill Ireland. Nice. And the entire crew <laughs> abandons the Enterprise. Oh, wow. So you think of the episode as a great Spock love story, and it yes. is. Yes, but, it is. But my favorite scenes are like Kirk alone on the ship and recording a captain's log and saying, I never realized how big this ship was. Wow. Because he's up there all by himself, and he has to find a way to free Spock of the influence of these spores and bring him back and get his crew back. Mm -hmm. And the whole story was kind of taking uh, a, a little bit of a look at uh, drug addiction and, and everything that was happening in the mid-60s, uh, how people would get very mellow and kind of not be themselves and forget about their responsibilities. So it was every Star Trek episode had a strong theme, and that was the theme of that one. Mm -hmm. We got to see Spock fall in love, and we got to see Kirk have to fight his demons about he, he loves his ship, but it's the crew. He, it's right. nothing without the crew. Yes, very right. well said, Mark. Well, that's very, cool. very well said. So, so, John, I mean, can you sit down? Can you watch a Star Wars movie? Can you watch a Star Trek episode? Or is it just more like work? Uh, no, I, I certainly enjoy watching them. I, I guess my answer to the question of uh, what would be my favorite on the Star Trek side of things is, uh, you know, I I actually was not able to see the uh, original series in first run. I was actually born the night that uh, the uh, a piece of the action uh, debuted. So that was <laughs> great. That, yes. that was the episode where uh, they they went back and used all the sets from the Untouchables. Oh, that's uh, right. that, excellent one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, it is. Yeah. The, <laughs> wow. And it was probably literally was the sets from the Untouchables because it, it was. was. Yeah, definitely was uh, studio. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but so I didn't really get to experience Star Trek originally, or rather, you know, as it was coming out until we got the movies and uh, and the the next generation. So and of course, Star Wars for me was sort of. Yeah, it goes fallow there for an entire stretch between 83 and Return of the Jedi and, uh, you know, the mid-90s when George Lucas realizes he's got to, you know, make some money again and uh, he's, he's he starts everything up. So, so again, I, I would say I probably have a, a deeper, uh, uh, you know, connection uh, to the next generation, but so much of what was in the original series I adore and love mm -hmm. and... Uh, you know, I've I've written now novels about both sets of characters, and uh, and it's been a blast. Hey, listen, have, have either of you guys ever met William Shatner? 
Yes. <laughs> okay. Yeah, but, but John, I'm, I'm interested to know something. Um, which characters do you enjoy writing for the most? I know you prefer okay. Next Generation as growing up to the show. Yeah. But from a, from a writer's point of view, writing dramatic stories, which, uh, which are easier or are they both um, the same for you? Well, I, I I enjoy writing uh, Spock, and and what's one of the th- one of the fun things about Discovery is I've gotten to write Spock again, uh, because I'm writing young Spock. Uh, yeah. th- th- what's fun with Spock is you can continually, you know, he, he has sort of this model of how he reacts to things, and so you can continually hit him with various uh, <laughs> stimuli and, and situations to see what he'll do. Uh, and and you know he ends up being the moral center for whatever story he's in, uh, and the trick is always to keep testing him. Um, in Next Generation, uh, I'm uh, I'm a big Worf guy. I I think that that that, that series took off for me uh, once they got to uh, once they got to Kronos, once they got to the Klingon homeworld, and uh, started the entire thing. the The trilogy of novels I wrote for the 50th anniversary, which was called Prey. Uh, spelled P-R-E-Y, uh, was uh, basically it was it was an entire uh, trilogy about the Klingons and and discommendation and all of the all the traditions that they had. Uh, and, you know, I just I enjoyed that a lot. And again, you know, some as you say, some characters are easier than others to write for. But, uh, you know, it's, it's all it's all great. It's all it's all Star Trek. And, and do you guys do you have any idea, you know, what what age range your uh, audience is? Uh, I can say from my experience it, it, with both Star Wars and Star Trek, and I, it, it, it almost sounds bad to say this, the average Star Trek fan, at least up to about two or three years ago, the average Star Trek fan was about 20 years older than the average Star Wars fan. Wow. And in part, it, in part, it was because uh, George Lucas retargeted Star Wars mm-hmm. with the uh, with the uh, the prequel trilogy to kids again. Yep. So he refreshed the group out there. Uh, also, you know, Star Trek uh, is a bit more you know intellectual. Um, you know, uh, I can write about things in Star Trek novels, including Earth, <laughs> but mm-hmm. topics and history and things and philosophy that I can only put in a Star Wars novel if I dress it up right. uh, and make it alien somehow. Uh, but now, all of that said, it's going to change, and it's changing because of streaming. It's changing because of CBS All Access. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's changing because there are going to be multiple TV series, and now there's a kids' cartoon series that's coming out as well. Wow! Uh, and so uh, it's just like the uh, I'm sure Mark is is your your '70s book. I'm sure you've got the animated series in there somewhere. Right. So so that's my question. Yeah, that, that that's the one that's out now. Right. And uh, the one that comes out in a few months will have uh, Star Trek: The Motion Picture in Phase Two. You'll be interested, John, in in that book because um, Phase Two they. Did, they wrote a two-part episode. They, they yeah. had 13 scripts ready to go. Oh, and yeah. John Meredith Lucas, who had worked on the original series, wrote a two-part episode called Contumba. And they go back to the Klingon home world. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, it's quite good. And it was a really interesting read for me to read through these scripts, but that one in particular. And I, I describe uh, the stories of lines to these episodes, and you see the memos between everybody, just yeah. like the series had existed. And you're able to read these chapters and visualize this series that never was. Mark, let there's me... a, there, I'm sorry, there's a, there's a big element in my Prey series that comes from Devil's Due. Uh, and yes. that and that's a that's a phase two uh, plot as well. And of course, I I, I believe uh, the discovery, the design of the discovery, 
is also a Ralph McQuarrie design, or it's based partially on one from uh, from Phase Two as well, uh, if I'm remembering right. But or, or actually, no, no, that was the that, that was Planet of the Titans, wasn't it? That was <laughs> or whatever that was called. The 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 movie that wasn't. Yeah, I cover all that in this new book that's coming up uh, because they were trying to. Um, uh, well, actually, that's in the book that. Uh, no, it's in the new one, uh, because they were trying to make a Star Trek motion picture starting in 1975. See, that's what I was yeah. going to ask you. Is, I was going to ask you is, is is like Star Wars. I can see how George Lucas, you know, uh, was able to kind of redirect it towards younger people, but like Star Trek is a little bit different because the main characters, well, they're flying around in, in spaceships and stuff. You know, they're like in the military and stuff. So how do you, mm-hmm. right. you know what I mean? How do you do? I know when they when they brought it back, they kind of sh- try to show. Uh, Captain Kirk as a kid and everything like that. And those are actually good movies, you know? But, you know what I mean? How do you redirect it to really young kids like Star Wars system? And we got like two minutes. Well, they're, they're doing, they're, with the J.J. Abrams movies, they, they've geared it down to there as well because it's more action-oriented. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, even a little bit comic book-oriented when you look at the fight scenes like in the second movie between Spock and Khan. Okay. I believe that was the second one. And uh, it's, it's almost uh, like superheroes. So they're definitely going after a younger audience uh, with, with those movies. Right. But what I liked about those movies, too, before we take a break, is that they had a really great opportunity to screw up that story. You know, and, and they didn't do it. You know, they stayed true to it, and they didn't make fools of themselves. And they were actually good movies in the, from the science fiction aspect and from the special from the, effects. The technology aspect of it. Yeah, it was really, really good. Yeah, so they did. You know, they yeah. could have easily just goofed it up and they didn't. Hey, listen, you listen to Mac Maloney's Miltrax last show here on the Distant Thunder Radio Network. We're going to take a hot break, as they say in the business now, and we'll be right back after this. Stay with us. I was in the hospital with my son for 18 months. When he got injured, I knew I had to be strong. I just remember rushing into his room and giving him a big hug and letting him know I was there. These veterans and families are just a few of the heroes we serve at Homes for Our Troops. We build specially adapted custom homes with features like wheelchair access and automatic door openers that allow them to focus on their recovery and family. This house is freedom. It's hope. It's a new beginning. Visit HFOTUSA.org. Welcome back, everyone, to Mac Maloney's Milk Tracks, our show here on the Distant Thunder Radio Network. What a show this has turned out to be. The very quickly, girls. The very famous Juan Juan is here. Hello, Mac. This is a great show. Hello, girls. Also up in Maine, uh, the great white north looking out of his bunker at the rest of us is, uh, they call him Coco on the streets, but we know him as Commander Cobra. Good evening, gentlemen and lady. There you go. Uh, our national correspondent, which played Steve Ward up there in Battle Creek, Michigan. Great to be here, and Juan Juan's right. Nothing better than Star Wars and Star Trek on the no, same show. Nothing at all? <laughs> nothing? Well, at least up to this point. Okay, thank you. Uh, also uh, joining us is uh, super fan Ella. If she's still out there in Vegas, Ella, you still with us? Yes, hi, Mac. Yeah. I'm still here. Really, yeah? Okay. Are you at the pool or anything? Are you doing anything we should know about? <laughs> No, I'm just enjoying the nice weather we're having. Oh, that's a she's big rubbing it Yeah, in. rubbing it in. Exactly. Every time we get Sorry. to her, she's rubbing it in. Also on the phone with us. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Including the suntan lotion. Okay. 
uh, on the phone with us, if they're still here, is John Jackson Miller, who is someone who has written Star Wars books, but also Star Trek books and a lot of other stuff that you've heard about. And also Mark Cushman, who has written a history of Star Trek. And uh, if you've uh, heard a guest in uh, correspondence, it's a great, great book. And now you guys should plug everything you, that you do by the end of the uh, segment. But let's just go back to Star Trek for a second. So, it, so when it was on TV, I know that at one point, I mean, this is at least what I've heard, is that they ran into budgetary problems or whatever, and that's why they would do episodes with, like, the leftover stuff from The Untouchables, okay? But for some reason, they can get away with it. You know what I mean? It just doesn't seem, you know, well, because it was cheesy to begin with. So yeah. why, you know, draw well, the it wasn't like Elliot Ness was in it, you know? It's not just about, though, yeah. <laughs> well, in the third season, they would do uh, uh, ship. It just shows that it took place on the Enterprise sometimes. They would Which have what? a name. Which have a name. Those are what. Those are bottle episodes. Wow, yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Bottle shows. Bottle shows. Is that right? Yep. So yep. when you're contained in one place, those are bottle shows. And yep. you save money. Well, they were they were cheaper to shoot because you didn't have to go to the other stage. Uh, stage nine was the uh, the entire Enterprise, mm-hmm. both for the original show and Next Generation and probably beyond. Mm-hmm. And uh, stage ten, right next door, was the planet set where they would build a new planet every week or move in the untouchable sets and and use those. And uh, uh, so obviously you could shoot quicker and cheaper if you didn't have to go from one stage to another. Yeah, right. But they also found, uh, and I know John will probably agree with this, uh, and, and, it, and John's read my book, so he know, or my first book, so he knows the, uh, the fights they had with NBC, because NBC wanted more planet shows. But the thing about the bottle shows is they were some of the best episodes, mm-hmm. because Absolutely. when they were trapped on the ship, when you can't get off of the ship, and you got somebody like Robert Walker Jr. as Charlie Evans, mm-hmm. who's turning people into lizards and whatever he's doing, yes. you can't get away from them. And there was a great memo between Roddenberry and Stan Robertson, where Robertson was saying, can't you make this take place on a planet? And Roddenberry wrote back, and I paraphrase, but he said something along that everybody would, could just run away from him. <laughs> no, he's got to be trapped <laughs> on yeah, yeah, yeah. the ship with wow. him. So it, it really increased the tension and the conflicts when you did uh, some of these bottle shows. And so they were cheaper to make, and they tried to yeah. do one out of every three or four episodes as a bottle show mm-hmm. uh, to keep the budgets down. But uh, they turned out to be a lot of the best ones. Well, listen, I want and, to ask you the question. I'm sorry. I, I just want to ask you the question that I know people you know, are wondering. Why does, you know, you hear um, George Shakai on different radio shows, and you hear Shatner. And I know people who have dealt with William Shatner, okay? I knew the guy who produced his... Um, that album he made about three or four years ago, prog rock songs and stuff. Um, <laughs> what? Yeah, he was like 81 years old. Do you remember? I mean, I don't know if you, you keep up with his career that much, but he was like 81. He did a yeah, Patrick Whereas, my friend, played on it. Okay. So, but, you know. Um, he was doing covers of uh, Yes songs? Yeah, stuff like that. Yeah, <laughs> believe it or not. Yeah, he had gone to that. But, well, there's, there's an older one from the 60s where he's doing Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds yeah, and, yeah, oh, and yes. Mr. Tambourine Man. Yeah. If you ever want to have a really good laugh, listen yeah. to that thing. Yeah, yeah. Because he can't sing, but he doesn't care. I mean, he's one of these guys that really doesn't care, you know? So I think so, Columbia Records put out Best of the 60s and he's best, on of the, best, uh, best of a Certain Year. Yep. Well, and the game complete with a calendar. I think he's on a, a track or two, or something. <laughs> so, so what was what was the tension between those two? Why did they not get along from the beginning? Uh, he thought Shatner was a hand. No, or? no. You know, it's an interesting question, and and they got along fine. Uh, everybody loved Gene Roddenberry. I'm sorry, uh, Bill Shatner on the original show. Uh, you know, I interviewed uh, even Michelle, who had some conflicts with him later, told me that uh, he was a darling on the original show. Uh, he was the energy in the room. He, uh, you know, he always knew his lines. He was uh, he kept he, he was funny. He made everybody laugh, 
and everything else. It was when they started doing the movies later, after the first movie. And uh, that's when some of them started having some issues with them. And, that, and that's what George is usually talking about, mm-hmm. is the later stuff. Not not from when they were doing the original show. But what, Mark, and, and, I'm sorry, go ahead. Mark, do you, think, do you think that was partially because, I've always wondered... He has a rough sort of patch in the early seventies where you know he's he's, he's doing uh, uh, you know he, he doesn't have a lot of big roles. I mean, is that a, T. J. Is that part of what's going on? The T. J. Hooker years. That no, not, 80s, no, that's right? that's that's well before or well after that. But. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So he he was doing nothing. Yeah, he was doing nothing. Wow, that's interesting. Well, he was, yeah, yeah, he was sleeping in the back of a truck. Like was he really? Yeah, because he he, he yeah he, he was sleeping in a camper uh, because he got divorced. Him and Gene both got divorced uh, right as uh, the show was ending. And the alimony and child support was based on what they were making when they were working on a weekly TV series. So as he was guest starring on other shows in the 70s and making the rounds doing that, uh, he didn't have any money. He was paying for the house for the wife and kids to live in. So he would go on on a summer stock tour uh, across the country and do small theaters uh, when he was when TV was during its hiatus and they weren't filming anything, and he would take his Dobermans in a camper and he would sleep in the back of the camper because wow. he didn't have any money. Wow! wow. And no, he was in a yeah. few uh, early episodes of um, Twilight Zone and also the Alfred Hitchcock uh, uh, you know, yeah. Mystery Hour or whatever it was TV show. And you know, he was just That's someone thriller. who uh, you know he was he was in. I mean, the one the the famous one where he's on the on the plane and the Twilight Zone and the demons out on the wing. I mean, that's probably right. one of the best ones Classic. that they've ever done. You know, it was excellent. He, he was in everything yes. in the '60s for a while. Burke's Law, The Fugitive, everywhere. Really, yeah. So. He was he was uh, you know when when Jeffrey Hunter uh, declined to come back for the second pilot, and the reason that happened is uh, Hunter signed up for a pilot, and if it sold for five years, you know, five year mission, mm-hmm. and. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, but NBC did not buy the pilot. Instead, they ordered a second pilot, which had never been done before. And so that gave Jeffrey Hunter an out because he was offered a motion picture, so he uh, did not come back. But the guy they wanted all along from the very beginning was William Shatner. They couldn't get him when they did the first pilot because he was doing another series. He had his own series called For the People. And just when they were getting ready to shoot the second pilot, Jeffrey Hunter said, I'm not coming back. Shatner's uh, series got canceled. Gene Roddenberry called him. He flew out. He looked at the first pilot. And he said, I'm on board. I want to do it. Wow. Uh, so he, he was one of the, the big names in TV. He was a guy that everybody was trying to get for a series. He was offered The Defenders. He was offered other series that he turned down. But he loved science fiction, and he saw the potential of Star Trek, and so he jumped on board. But, yeah, as, as you guys were saying, after a show like that ends – you're now associated with that character. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, James Doohan did a lot of work before Star Trek. Walter Koenig did a lot of work before Star Trek. But after the show ended, it's like, oh, he's the Scottish guy. He's the Russian. <laughs> yeah, right. Shatner's right. Captain Kirk. And Star Trek's showing five nights a week all across the country. So you've got to compete against your, the, your own self mm-hmm. and the legend that you've created. And that's, that's what hurt him. So when he came back to do the movies, you know, his attitude was, well, you know, this this is what I got, and I'm going to get everything I can out of it. See, that Lennon Nimoy, that, he's an interesting guy because he ran into the same thing, yet he was on Mission Impossible, a hit show for a long time, right? He was very smart. Uh, when Star Trek got canceled, he went straight to Mission Impossible uh, because Martin Landau dropped out, and uh, so Leonard took over Martin's place as the, uh, the the master of disguise. and And he did that. To go from one series to another is pretty exhausting, but he did it because he knew that he'd be able to play a different character every week, mm-hmm. look different, 
talk different, and that would help uh, him break the uh, the attitude around Hollywood that he could only be a Vulcan. Now, see, Where else are you going to find a job as a Vulcan? That's a really brilliant. <laughs> that's a really brilliant way of thinking of things. Your career in Hollywood. Now, does he think of that, or does some agent say, "Hey, baby, you better do this"? No, he thought of it. He thought of it. Uh, NBC was actually talking to him about doing a Star Trek spinoff with just the Spock character. And he said no to that. Uh, uh, Marty Landau was a friend of his, and he said, I'm leaving Mission Impossible. And, uh, and he came and, and the irony of this is Martin Landau was the first person Nimoy approached to play Spock. He turned it down because he thought the role would be too limiting. And he went and did Mission Impossible. Then when Marty enter, exited Mission, Leonard Nimoy took the part, and he didn't want to do another series right away. He would have liked to have taken it a little easier after playing that character and being makeup two hours every day, yes. you know, and all that stuff. But he knew that if he did a couple years on Mission Impossible, he would be able to play all kinds of other roles because they would see his his the variety of characters he yeah, could play. Interesting. Hey, we, El, uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, please. I was going to say real quick. Uh, we were talking earlier about cost saving measures. Uh, in the original series, the one that probably has uh, cast the longest shadow and has done the most good overall uh, was the fact that they didn't want to do the the shuttles repeatedly. They they came up with the idea of the transporter. Let's just go right. directly to wherever it is. That way cool. we don't have to have the, the set. We don't have to do the model work. And I will say, as somebody who has written Star Wars and Star Trek in the same year sometimes, mm-hmm. It is so much nicer to be able to just skip, skip. to the planet. Sure, yeah. <laughs> just yeah. skip to the whatever it is. Yeah, you got to get uh, the shuttle get, started up, and, you know, off you put go. the airlock yeah. in and stuff. Yeah. It, it, You're there in minutes. Genius. Uh, it, it's, it's very true. You know, it's, it's interesting. A lot of the things that they were forced to do, they benefited from. And that, that is one of the primary ones because they couldn't afford to have the ship land on a planet every week. Sure. And uh, and with the design of the ship that they came up with, which was pretty creative, we'd never seen anything that looked like that before. Right. You know, it couldn't have. So uh, the transporter was necessary, but it allowed them to go right into the story, right in the teaser. They beam down to a planet, and oh. they're surrounded by a bunch of you name it. And, Here's the and thing. You're, you're right into the action. But also, um, you know, in, in my books, you have the, uh, the memos from NBC, and you see, like, in an episode, it was an early episode called Dagger of the Mind, and there was a penal planet. Mm-hmm. And uh, this, this inmate escaped from the planet. He was on the ship. And they, uh, they subdued him, and they strapped him down in sick bay, and they tried to find out what was going on down on the penal planet. But he could not tell them because he would go into spasms. Something had happened to him down there, and he couldn't mm-hmm. tell them what it was. So in the script, uh, Spock and McCoy hypnotize him so that he can relax and tell them about what's going on. And NBC said, you can't do that. You cannot hypnotize people on the NBC television network because they were afraid the audience would get hypnotized. And so Roddenberry fought with them over this. He couldn't get past uh, broadcast standards. So what he did is he came up with the Vulcan mind meld. And so sometimes uh, running into the roadblock of broadcast standards forced them to come up with things that benefited the show and have become wonderful parts of uh, the Star Trek history. That's excellent. You, you know, the thing about Star Trek, too, is, and, and you know, this will sound crazy because I was a kid when this happened, you know, when this was on, but I was always a big fan of science fiction. But around that time, there wasn't a whole lot of science fiction around. Twilight Zone, but it was, it was kind of weird stories, out on limits, but there wasn't a lot of movies, right? Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, Star Trek came on. And what caught my attention to it was, 
you know, watching all these old sci-fi movies when you'd see a rocket ship in space, it would just kind of be poking along. You'd be able to see the strings hanging down, you know what I mean? It like, was a little bit better than an Ed they, Wood movie, but not much better. Not much better. But in Star Trek, <laughs> they would show that thing coming from a little pinpoint of light, and they, yeah. it was the, wow, there's uh, Gene Roddenberry calling us now from the grave. But it, it showed motion, you know what I mean? It showed fast motion. It showed motion, yeah. you know, and, and You could see it, you could hear it. Yeah, you could hear it. And then the song was kind of cool and stuff, and, and um. Uh, I don't know. That's what just got me into it. Just that one little thing. It, it made that one little difference. But I love that idea that the stuff that they were forced to do became these things, these almost icons of stuff. Yeah, you know, the transporter and stuff like that. They had to do it. But like on um, Lost in Space, I've, the Switch and I have talked to this before, Erwin um, Allen, like I guess he was someone who really watched the penny. So he'd have monsters made out of Xerox machines and stuff like that. <laughs> and he'd, he'd, recycle, he'd recycle the same monsters between different shows. Yeah, you know? didn't really, yeah. His budgets monsters. were terrible. Really? Yeah. Uh, after I did the Star Trek books, I did a series of books on Lost in Space and Voice Bound the Sea because I, I, I wanted to know. Nobody had ever written about Irwin Allen. And I was invited, I, I was given access to his private papers. And I wanted to find out why all these shows started off pretty good and then got yes. silly or became Monster of the Weeks. Yes. It was the network's. You know, yeah. over on Lost in Space, it was very Phil Norris in the very beginning. Black mm-hmm. and white. Yep. Yep. Smith was, was quite wicked. He programmed the robot to kill the kids. Mm-hmm. And CBS is writing to Irwin Allen saying, you cannot put children in jeopardy during the family hour. Mm-hmm. Get rid of the character. Dismantle the robot. And so he came up with the idea, he and Jonathan Harris, let's make the character less threatening, make him more comical, make the, the robot? robot more comical. Mm-hmm. The, uh, yeah. Yeah. And the not... same thing with Voice Bomb the Sea. Now, that never got silly. Or at least not comedy-wise, well, but uh, it, it was winning its time slot. But every week, or about once a month, they would do a monster story. Yes, right. And the ratings yeah. would spike. And so <laughs> uh, the network contacted them and said, "Let's do monsters every week." Yep. Well, that that killed the show. Yeah. But but uh, that's how networks think. And see, Irwin Allen would do what the networks told him. Gene Roddenberry would fight NBC mm-hmm. tooth and nail. Well, see, that's what's weird about it. You have to think. You know, how do these guys get into? And it's a you know. It's an esoteric question more than anything, but how do they get to the point where they can, you know, screw up a series like that? You know what I mean? I mean, they they well, made it to some kind of level on the executive food chain on the TV. Shouldn't they know the, uh, that? I I had mentioned earlier I I did the 40th anniversary graphic novel for Battlestar Galactica here last year, and yeah, that's another case where the show was just too damn expensive, and its ratings were actually. Uh, still pretty good when it went off the air. It was doing better than Dallas was. Wow, huh? Uh, nice. And it was just, it was so, ex- it was a million dollars a week. Mm. Uh, and in those days, they couldn't do that. That was a million and, dollars uh, a week for Star Trek? was a million dollars a week, man. No, no, no. no. Battlestar Galactica. Battlestar Galactica. Oh, Bast- oh yeah. okay, yeah. But still, that's a lot of dough. That's a lot of dough. Well, it was, 70s, yeah. For 78, yeah. oh, yeah. And uh, uh, although I got to say, you can see the money. It's on mm-hmm. the screen. Yep. Uh, yeah. The special effects in that show hold up. Yep. Uh, and uh, it, certainly the model work holds up. How about the latest one? Uh, Did you like the latest one? Uh, it's really dark. I, I like a I like a joke now and again. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. but uh, but yeah, it's uh, and I think they're going to come around to do it again. It is interesting though that with Irwin Allen and Gene Roddenberry and Glenn Larson, you kind of mm-hmm. have these you know titans of TV science fiction, right? Uh, that, that recur and show up again and again. Forge of the Bottom of the Sea. Yeah. I always watch well, it. It was on you know uh, you know some like Tuesday nights, eight o'clock. You know, and it just seems like something you'd watch during the summer or whatever. But what they used to do, and you're right, all of a sudden a, mo- a seaweed monster would show up in the control room yep. or something. But either they made the camera move or they had it on a 
floor. But they'd always be constantly you know, rowing back and forth, being thrown back and forth. Lots of hydraulics. Oh, yeah. yeah. With the computers, you have the little lights going on and off. And I off. love the computer they, stuff. They call, they call it the CV Rock and Roll. Yeah, there you go. And yeah. They do it every week. Every, every week. week. And, 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 and that, and and that CV awesome. monster would show up next week on Lost of Space. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, you know, he, his budgets, and I found all this out when I was going through all the, the papers and the show files, his budgets were under 150 grand. It was between 135 and 140 thousand hmm. dollars per episode. Is that paying the actors? Uh, and too? Star Trek during the same year, Star Trek had a budget of 180. Hmm. So Star Trek had an extra 50 grand to play with. Right. Uh, so Irwin, so, that, so Ir, they could create new monsters every week. Irwin had to recycle them. Did that? Is that including the actors' fee for the week, or is that just production? Yeah. yeah really. Yeah. yeah. So that's everything. Out of that, that's huh? everything in the can. Wow. Yeah. That's- Real cheap. Well, well I think huh. a really important thing was uh, George Lucas, when he did the first original Star Wars films, he got rid of the camp. You know, prior to that, we had uh, Silly Batman. Even the uh, the Superman movie starts out serious, then it goes mm-hmm. to camp. Right. Batman movie, serious, goes to camp. But Star Wars, the original Star Wars, he did it right. He mm-hmm. had the right blend of, of humor, action, and, and drama, and comedy, and everything. Right. Yep. So, and, and that was really, a, that was kind of a milestone at the time. It's, it's, it's a groundbreaking film. I mean, it's just odd that it happens to be Star Wars was you know but it was and and i've read before and i'm sure you guys have heard this is that when he had to you know show the rushes as they say in the biz to the suits and they hadn't done the um the attacks uh, on the ship yet he put in footage of world war one dog fights mm-hmm. and he says it's gonna be like this and yep. they said yeah okay. right and and that's what they did that's what they did but there's also like scenes in there like when they fall in the um garbage dump or something like that if you watch that just the way it's shot is just in a real garbage dump, probably. Yeah, or something. You know, they're in, <laughs> and they're covered with stuff, and they just, yeah. um, it, it just isn't you think shot about like that anything scene, else. If you think about, if you think about that scene, there is a lot of comedy in those Star Wars movies. Oh, yes, yeah. and a love yeah. story it's not, too. It's not camp. It's not camp. There, there's yeah. a there's a joke a minute. Uh, there's there's more than a joke a minute. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's and, and in, you know, if people ask, you know, which are my favorite movies, it's still the original ones in part because of the scripting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, yeah. Because there are those jokes. So we the villains. The villains were evil. You villains know, not the, yes. the silly, yeah. uh, comical Lex Luthor or the silly Joker that played by Jack Nicholson. But, These were real evil, uh, you know, villains. Peter Cushing. <laughs> well, what else is he going to yeah. play? You know, but the bad guy. But um, you couldn't uh, get more evil than Darth Vader. Right. Exactly. You know. And it couldn't have been played by a better guy. Who played him? That no voice. One ever saw, huh? Oh, uh, the the voice. Voice. Several, several people. You get Dave Prowl is on the I, inside. I, and, and right. James I got to say though, I did, I did get a kick out of Rick Moranis in. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <football>. <laughs> oh, yes. Doc Helmet. Doc Darth Helmet. Helmet. Yes. Right. And Pizza the Hut. So is it true that three PO and I love that. who the two who the two C P O and uh, C three P O and R two T those guys they didn't get along. Right? I was in love with Princess Leia, just like Han well, Solo. Who was it? Yeah. You know she was mega. Is it true that those uh, those guys playing the robots didn't get along or something? Ever hear that? Uh, not something I've heard, but that's <laughs> possible. <laughs> uh, you know, if 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 you had to be inside that robot suit all day under those hot lights, you mm-hmm. wouldn't get along with anybody. So, so that's what happened true. with Star Wars? I mean, you know, the first three movies were really good. The first one being the best, but the first three movies are really good movies. But then when it got into bringing the little kid and the, the ones that Natalie Portman is in, even though she's a good actress, you know. It had to do with the trade unions and all this stuff. You know, no one wants to hear that. And they were hard to well, follow. Well, the, uh, the, the prequel movies have kind of a difficult uh, road to hoe because, you know, they're telling you a story you already know. Mm-hmm. They're they're telling you what 
is already happening, or, or, or you you already know what happens to Darth Vader. So it's all about the how. Right. It's all about it's all it's all about how what happens. Even so, you get some compelling characters. Uh, you know, uh, Ellen McGregor does a great Obi Wan Kenobi, and and of course that's that's the novel I'm most known for is the novel Kenobi, which is about Obi Wan Kenobi's first. Uh, months on Tatooine, mm. uh, and I freely rip off from the movie Shane. Uh, but, <laughs> wow. Okay, testimony. But, yeah. but, but, that, but that's okay because uh, Shane was played by the father of the, the executive producer of Star Wars, so really? uh, Alan Ladd Jr. Oh, so, yeah, Alan Ladd, yeah. And where does Cheryl Ladd come into that? Is Cheryl Ladd his wife or his sister or his daughter? I mean, that one I don't know. Cheryl but, Ladd uh, from uh, Charlie's Angels was related somehow yeah. to Alan Ladd, yeah. Shane's, but, uh, Shane's a great movie. That's an iconic movie. I yeah. mean, look what happens at the end of that. You know, yeah. he's, he's wounded, oh, yeah. but he rides up into the sunset. My nickname was Obi Wan Kenobi for a while. <laughs> really? <laughs> we only have seven minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to tell you who gave me oh, that. Come on, nickname. please tell us. No, I can't tell you. Oh, oh. I don't want to break the mood of the content right now. Well, okay. Well, we do have seven minutes. I mean, so, <laughs> so, I, I, so, I guess I want to ask you guys: like, um, do you go to the, the conventions and stuff like that? I've uh, I've been sent to uh, the Vegas convention uh, three four years in a row. Okay, uh, where we would have a booth uh, to sell the books and so forth. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I did go to one in, in the in the mid nineteen seventies. I had to deliver film. Uh, I was just a kid, but I was a, a runner for a, a company that had uh, that had the the filmed episodes that they ran. And that was up in San Francisco in nineteen seventy five. So I saw that one. But I got to tell you, when I went to this convention, it was really—it's uh, like going to Mardi Gras. Mm-hmm, uh, the Vegas one is huge. Yeah, oh, and it's, it's interesting. You—you you asked earlier about the age groups and everything. You go in there, and you see every age imaginable. You see kids mm-hmm. in Star Trek uniforms. You see uh, grandparents. You see everything in between. And you—you'll never see more beautiful women hey, in miniskirts than at a Star Trek convention. Hey, Ella, are you still there? Yes. Yeah. Would, would you go to a Star Trek convention for us and report to us later on? Absolutely, really? I'd love to. Would you get dressed up as a Star Trek character or whatever? Sure. Yeah. Okay. What right. Wow. Well, we'll, well, we're going to have to have a meeting on that. Yeah. But. We'll have a production meeting on that, <laughs> okay. and uh, we'll bring in costuming. Costuming, yeah, that's yeah. your that's your that's uh, my department. department. Okay, thank you very much. Yeah, I, I do about uh, twenty conventions a year, and uh, I, did, I was I was at the, the Vegas when uh, Mark was talking about last year, mm-hmm. uh, and and actually there are there are now shows every single weekend, four or five shows in different cities. Um, oh. You know, I'm for example this weekend I'm at uh, a Galaxy Con in Richmond, Virginia. Virginia, and we've got Shatner and LeVar Burton and Marina Sirtis and Will Wheaton. Uh, but yet another group of Star Trek actors are at Pensacola at Pensacon. Uh, and then there's another group at a different, completely different place. Sure, right. Uh, it's it's become a crazy industry uh, out there. And and he's right. As I, the, the average ages of the Trek fans have been getting younger mm-hmm. uh, as streaming has come along. Uh, one of the interesting dynamics, and I, I'd be interested to know what if Mark has experienced this too. Uh, when young people are watching Star Trek or want to watch Star Trek, they keep trying to start from the beginning because that's the way they watch everything. Sure, is streaming yeah. from episode one. Mm-hmm. And when I'm talking to my kids or somebody, I'm like, no, 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 you want this episode and this episode and this episode. And for next generation, we pretty much have you know people skip the first season entirely, mm. uh, and yeah. then. And then move along. That's not how kids today view things. They assume everything is serialized, even when it's not. Interesting. Uh, yeah. And 
Well, I must be young for my age because I like watching them from the first episode mm-hmm. forward as well. Uh, and sometimes I'll, I won't make it through a series, and I'll come back to it a year or two later. And guess what? I start from the first yep. episode again. Yep. I, 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 get I, I just have to see it kind of open up that way. And I always tell people when they buy my books, if I'm at a, doing a signing, I say, look, I know it's tough. But, but watch it in chronological order, yeah. because then you can read a chapter, watch the episode, read the next chapter, watch the episode, because there's a bigger arc going on within the, the history of this series than just the individual episodes. But I understand totally what you're saying, John, about Next Generation. Yeah, skip the first season. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but, but, but there's a really great episode called Sarek in the third season, and I, I think you had something to do with that. So, um, that's, you know, I, I pitched that to Gene, and, and which was a wonderful experience, because uh, you asked how Gene was. Uh, you know, he was, a, he, was a writer's, he was a writer's producer. You know, you would come in and you would pitch an idea to him, and... And I just said, I, I wonder what would happen to a Vulcan if he goes through senility. And Gene says, oh, what do you think? And we just started having a discussion about it. Mm-hmm. And he was like that with everybody. He was a great guy to pitch stories to. Yeah, that's good. That's good to hear. But, but, but the reason I came up with that idea, that was my back pocket idea. And, sure. and John probably knows what I mean when I say that. Uh-huh. When you go into a pitch meeting, you go in with two or three stories that you've thought out fairly well. You may only get a sentence out of your mouth, and they'll say, oh, we're already doing it. And you go, oh, I just spent two days working that yeah. idea out. But, uh, but I went in with three, and, and he shot all of them down because he said, well, we don't have greed anymore, and we don't have lust anymore. So whatever the theme of the story was, he didn't want to go there because he feels that man would have to get beyond those type of Get beyond emotions. greed and lust, Wama. Wow. Get beyond yeah. greed and, and so lust. Well, we get five more, five more deadly sins yeah. to go through. Yeah, what's left? I three ideas, he shot them down, and he said, do you have anything else? And I said, well, I was just thinking when I was driving over here about what might happen to a Vulcan going through senility. And bingo, I just saw a light go on over his head. Nice. And I thought, I think I just I think I just sold something to next generation. That's a I'm, nice moment. I went to sloth myself. We're, well, that's another show. We have to uh, we have to bring this train to an end here. Do you, can you can you can you explain can that it. in ten seconds? <laughs> no. We're at the sloth. Oh, sloth. One of the sloth, deadly scenes. Right. Okay. Sloth. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. One more. <laughs> You've seen the movie, right? National Geographic is calling you. Oh, I'm sure. Thank you, Cyril. The Star Trek convention is August 5th through 9th, 2020. All right, here we go. Oh, so Ella's going to be our representative. and uh, We'll have many production meetings then yep. on that. But let's do that. That's good. Okay, That's let's good. work on that. Get a GoPro and go through it. That'd be funny, even though we're a radio show. Thank you, Jackson, John Jackson Miller, who is of Faraway Press. He's written Star Wars books, but he's written a whole bunch of things. And too bad we don't have time to get into it, but you also studied Russian at LSU. Yeah, I got the last Soviet studies degree offered in this country. Why would you? Uh, the, the Soviet Union collapsed under my dissertation, so I ended up. <laughs> <laughs> so it's your so fault. I ended up going. But you know, all all Star Trek is in many in many cases is a metaphor for uh, or an analogy to uh, to world events. Oh, so cool. so we, we use them. Uh, just to mention uh, my stuff, uh, the most recent Trek novel is uh, called Star Trek Discovery: The Enterprise War. That's on shelves now. Uh, I got a book coming out in July. It's my next Star Trek Discovery novel. It's called. Die Standing, uh, and it features Michelle Yeoh's character, uh, the uh, the the uh, Empress Georgiou from uh, from the Mirror Dimension, uh, yes. the Mirror Universe. And then uh, I have a, a slew of other uh, Star Wars novels uh, and graphic novels that uh, people can find on shelves. John uh, so Jackson that, Miller. John Jackson Miller. Okay, just uh, Google him. It's a writer. Uh, Mark Cushman, please. What do you got? Uh, What's out there right now? People. Well, the, the, the fifth, the fifth of the voyages book will be out in um, June. 
uh, and it's uh, Gene Roddenberry and Star Trek in the 1970s, Volume 2, but it's the fifth book. And um, uh, you can get all those books and other books that I've written uh, by going to theseofthevoyagesbooks.com. Mm. You can get them at Amazon, you can get them at Barnes & Noble, but if you go to theseofthevoyagesbooks.com, I get a bigger royalty. Oh, so, okay, wow. we want to go there. <laughs> And, and, and they come signed, and they can come inscribed, because that's what I will do for that bigger royal. Now, there's a writer. So that's where you go to find those books. You bet it. That's great. Well, thanks, guys, for joining us. It really turned into a show that we didn't expect, but I think it turned into a very interesting show. It was show. a mutual admiration society. Right. And, and thanks, for joining, thanks for taking the time out uh, for uh, joining us. Also, uh, Switchy, thank you for joining us. Coco, you still there, buddy? Oh, oh, no, he had to leave. No. Oh, really? He did? Okay, wow. He, he had to depart. We didn't even miss him. Holy cow. He teleported out to him. Did he him. really? Okay, that was that noise I heard. Okay. Uh, thank Scotty you. Scotty beamed him up to someplace. Or down. Or down. We, we didn't salute him either, so you know, know he's going to pout about that. We're going to be in trouble. Switch, thanks for joining us. One more, thanks for joining us, Coco, wherever you are. Uh, Ella, please, thanks for joining us and sticking with us for the whole show. Our super fan out there in Las Vegas, yes. can we please? Yes, I loved it. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Oh, you're welcome. Great. And we'll follow up with you on the, yeah. the Star Trek. We're convention. working on the Star Trek uh, costume, and you're going to join us in two weeks with that experiment uh, that we did right. earlier in the show. Okay, and, it seems, and Zach Baggins, too. Seems like a million uh, uh, years ago. You're going to do what? What are you going to add on to the experiment? Oh, well, I was also going to go to Zach Baggins' Haunted Oh, that's oh, right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We'll do that in, uh, in May or June. Yeah, that'll be good. Okay. Wow, I think that'll know. be very nice and paranormal. <laughs> okay. Well, thanks again. Excellent. What's, what's paranormal that. is that you stuck stuck with us for two hours. I know. That was pretty amazing. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. <laughs> oh, we should say we are now a podcast. Okay. Podbean. Right. Podbean. Stitcher. <laughs> Apple iTunes. And also, if I can I reach. Radio. If I can reach over and pat myself on the back. Yeah. Uh, the Kalishnikov Kiss, codename Starman number one by Mac Maloney, who's mm -hmm. in stores. Uh, as he said, go to Amazon because it's just a lot better for the Excellent book. I'm a character in one of the, He's one of the stories. And... Um, <laughs> Uh, star, uh, star, code name Starman number two, The Sea of Moons, is coming out in about three weeks, as it turns out. And uh, Coco's dog is a character in that one, <laughs> as it turns out, Bear. It's true. Anyway. You know, try to get everyone into the tent. Thank you, guys. Thank you, everyone, for uh, joining us. And this is Mac Moyne for the entire gang saying, until you hear us again, be safe, be happy, and bye-bye.